liberty lockdown please scan your barcode your liberty ain't gone but yeah it's on hold where did it come from and where did it go it requires a fight not tweeting from your phone don't need a king get him off the fucking throne if you're riding with the thought you've always got a home the virus is scared of will come and it'll go the government knows this don't get treated like a hoe Welcome, everybody, to another live stream edition of Liberty Lockdown. I am thrilled to have you joining us once again with the king, the king of the cocks. Sorry, Robbie. He's officially the king now. Uh, Mr. Dave Smith will be with us in just one moment. Before we get started, as always, I want to thank our sponsor for tonight, which is careerhackers.com. If you are feeling the inflationary pressures, and who isn't, uh, if your boss has abused you egregiously over the past two years, who hasn't been, it seems like. If you are just looking to become more stable in your career path, this is a great option. Costs you nothing, gives you some information on how to become a better job applicant, stand out, stand out in the crowd, and make sure that you can get that job of your dreams. Sign up for the Daily Job Hunt. It is a once-daily email newsletter that hits your inbox every morning, tell you how to do exactly what I've already described. Again, go to careerhackers.com. And without further ado, the man of the hour, end of the 2020s, Mr. Dave Smith. <laughs> What's up, my brother? Good to see you. Good to see you your too, view behind you. Yeah. Man, you got to fucking read those ads, man. You got to pay that mortgage <laughs> off for that view. I got I to try and afford this place. Yeah. <laughs> well, actually, I'm, I'm building six houses, so I don't even own this. I'm renting right now. I am totally cash poor. I'm about as I feel I went from like retired to totally impoverished just because I'm building these stupid houses. It really sucks. I terrible mistake. I'm losing so much sleep. Anyways, this is the uh, house building game. They pulled you back in. As soon as that price of lumber went down, you were like, all right, I'm back on it. Thank yeah, you. exactly. Exactly. Big mistake. Um, so <clears throat> before we get started, I want to show you what I, I know. You know how cool this is for someone like me. So I wanted to see uh, your take. Here we go. I like this guy. What this guy says, oh, it's too small. You can't. I'll read it for you. He says, there are times in life when it feels like it's hopeless, like you won't ever get there. Like the mountain is too steep to climb. In those times, I want you to remember, for nine years, a quasi-sentient potato had his own show on <laughs> CNN. Don't you ever give up. Anything is possible. <laughs> Don't you ever give up. Anything is possible. <laughs> that's so cool. <laughs> that is, that's awesome. I saw it. I saw it. I think I saw it because yeah. you, you tweeted it. Um, but yeah, that's awesome. Jimmy Dore is fucking, he's awesome, dude. And uh, whoever his people are, like, I don't know if he just does it all himself and finds this shit, but it's cool. It's so cool when he does that. Man, he tweeted, I got to fucking have another conversation with him because yes, he, did you please. see he tweeted something about the the IRS, you know, the big hire of uh, new agents and mm -hmm. what is it, 87,000 or whatever, yep. new, new IRS agents. And he goes, you know, these IRS agents aren't going to be targeted at the billionaires. They're going to be targeted at, like, regular people. And you, you see it, you're almost like, dude, you're so close. Like, <laughs> you're so close. It's like, okay, yes, yes, yes. Now follow me. Follow me. Stick with me here, Jimmy. How about the previous IRS agents? Right. Who are they targeted at? Oh, huh? hold on, hold on, hold on. <laughs> like, follow me on this train. It's almost like, yes, this whole scheme doesn't really hurt billionaires, does it? Oh, no, it kind of helps them. Okay, so then what do we do from here? You know, like, but right. uh, but he's he's a great dude, a really funny comic, and just, uh, yeah, that's cool. That's cool that he gave you a shout out there. Oh, I, I wonder almost like how, you know, does he follow you? 
No, I have no idea how. Like but he just it, he just saw it mutuals or something, and just yeah. but it's a hilarious fucking tweet. It was great. Yeah, no, I I appreciated it. I mean, just his laugh afterwards. It was like it was like for me like having Letterman or something. Just read read your tweet on the TV. Yeah. It was just it was such a cool moment. Um, and and it, as you were saying about how close he is, I had on Fiorella Isabel uh, a couple days ago, and she is a communist, and she okay. said taxation is theft. <laughs> I was like, I was like, my mind almost, you know, my brain almost fell out of my ear. I was like, um, I don't know. I feel like there's, I don't know if there's some sort of meeting of the minds or perhaps it's just horseshoe theory or I don't know. Or maybe, maybe people are waking up to how corrupt this government is and they're just uh, maybe coming close to us. Am I, am I, I don't, I don't know. I mean, I, I definitely do think on, there's like a slice of the dissident left like the real dissident left, you know what I mean? Not like, yeah. uh, not like the the lefties who are like, oh, you know, whatever. Not, not the Bernie Sanders left, but like yeah. that, the Jimmy Dore left, who really, yeah, it, it seems like there is a lot of potential there for like coalitioning at least on certain issues, and then maybe even like waking some of them up. I know I hear from uh, you know listeners of mine all the time. Like it's not the most common background. But it, it's fairly common that I hear people who are like, hey, I was like a member of that dissident left and you sold me on this libertarian shit. So I do think it's, a, it's definitely worthwhile to have the conversations uh, with them and try, see like what's there. Uh, there's, the, the truth is all of these like, uh, you know, the, these like the way we group people into like, okay, these people are in this camp and these people are in this camp. A lot of people are just kind of listening. You know what I mean? Like they're they're just listening but they're not completely sold on anything. They think someone's saying something interesting. It's it's with a lot of these people. Um and you know, I used well, I think to that's uh, that's progress in its own right if they're actually listening. That's Well, well yeah, I mean I've I've talked to uh people, you know, like for uh, how much shit I've gotten for like having podcasts with like, you know, uh oh, right. Nick Fuentes or or you know people like that. But I've talked I've talked to uh, like young men who are like Oh yeah, like I I listen to you and Nick Fuentes and a bunch of other people, and they'd be like, "Oh, I like I don't really agree with Nick on like the crazy shit that he says." You know what <laughs> right. I mean? And it's almost like you ascribe like it's it's almost like if you were talking about like uh, someone who listened to Howard Stern in the '90s or whatever, you know, when Howard Stern mm -hmm. was good, and you know, you were like, "Oh, so you listen to him, so you must agree with him on every single view that he has." And you're like, "Well, that's that's kind of ridiculous to assume that, right?" They just enjoy the show. And so yeah. there's a lot of people like that. And so I think the more powerful thing in like talking to people like that is to get some of like their audience to kind of see this. Because there's so many of them who are just kind of like, okay, well, this guy is at least, or this woman is at least like addressing problems I'm concerned with. Okay, that's her solution. That seems kind of like, and then you go like, well, no, 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 here's what I think the solution is. And a lot of, you'd be surprised. Like a lot of those people are like, huh, never thought about it like that. Never yeah. heard anyone present it like that. So if nothing else, I think it's definitely worth talking to everyone about this stuff. And if it doesn't work, it doesn't work, you know? Right. Yeah. And they always make it sound as if we're going to get duped and have the, the communists come up and sneak and stab us in the back. And I'm like, look, I'm just having a conversation, man. Like, we're very far away from that that future where we've already abolished the state. And now we have to decide whether we're going to have <laughs> capitalism or communism. Like, I'm yeah. going to have a conversation in the interim uh, because they're not the imminent threat you know it's triage like i got i got people that are like spying on us they're entrapping people for yeah you know kidnapping there's, governors things there, like there's that 
people who are right. There's people who are like provoking a nuclear war, and if yeah. like we're all against that, hey, let's talk. That's literally why I had this panel on. I had uh, Pasta and Fiorella on, and it was all about how can how can I work with the you know the quote unquote based left is what I I describe them as. The, so how the good left? So this was a a commie like a a self identified communist who said taxation yes. is theft. Yes. Because, Which, but, but wouldn't there rent was, also have to be th- theft and everything yeah, else? Yeah, we didn't go much deeper. But just the <laughs> fact that she said that that phrase, I was like, this is incredible. But she then had the the caveat of, unless the money is spent how you know to benefit the people. And I was like, okay, well, you're getting there because they never spend the money to benefit the people. Yeah, but even uh, I always find that to be a bizarre um, like idea that. You know, like if something is theft or not theft, I've argued this before. I think I argued this with uh, Ben Burgess when when we debated on my show a, a yeah. few years ago. But there, I was like, so is how like something can't be. It, it's either theft or it's not theft. And you could do something good. Look, everyone acknowledges someone could mug you and then do something really great with the money. You know, right? It's, uh, but that still wouldn't make it any less theft, right? So like, right. it can't. Like it's almost like if like going like well it's not rape if you come or something like that like you're like no 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 but but the the whole point of whether it's rape or sex is whether it's against your will like that's yes, that's what matters exactly. it's not the like the end result of what happens with this can't change that so it's it's very bizarre to me to go like oh it's theft if they then spend it on the wrong thing it's like well no because once you're taxed before the money's spent on anything that was either theft or it wasn't theft. Right, like it has to be one of the two right there in that moment, right. and then so you're saying like it's uh, if it's spent on something that you deem to be a good cause, then it retroactively makes it not theft. I like like you're right. I mean, obviously yeah. you're right, Dave. No, I mean listen, it's just look. There's still there's still commies at the end of the day, but yes. like yeah, okay, let's have a conversation. Sure. And for the record, I have never orgasmed once while being taxed. Uh, so. You know, oh, you haven't happen. you haven't been taxed right, Clint. You don't know. You don't <laughs> know. True. You haven't Probably talked to my true. IRS guy. You gotta. <laughs> well, the uh, the main topic that I wanted to cover with you tonight. Well, actually, I have two. But first one being, um, you know, I'm constantly trying to re uh, re positive myself, <laughs> lift my spirits as to as to our odds. And uh, well, first off, let me let me start by saying. I did 125,000 views and audio downloads last 30 days. That, I mean, I wanted I wanted to bring that up to say thank you so much for giving uh, giving me the the uh, the olive branch, the lift up. Uh, I certainly couldn't have done it without you. It's it's incredible because you know I did eight episodes in the past 30 days. That's like 12,000 people listening to my dumbass talk for an hour at a clip, and uh, you know I know you do that more than that probably per episode, but still. It's uh, it really it goes to show you are you are officially the Joe Rogan of the Liberty Sphere. Sphere, <laughs> or how does that feel? Yeah, I'm the, the biggest guy in the tiniest pond you could possibly be at. Well, uh, don't downplay it. That, if you're the if you're the biggest guy in the tiniest pond, then I'm nothing. Come on. Well, okay, well, okay, but uh, well, no, but dude, I mean, look, it's like that's that's the way this whole fucking thing works, and um, I don't, I really don't like. I don't think I deserve any any credit for that. Like you, you do a great thing, and if if you didn't, then you wouldn't get a lot of people listening to you. So it's that simple. And 
I I literally just kind of boosted your signal because I dig what you're doing and I think you have have some great shit to say. So and that's the same thing that's happened with me. So like the only reason why I have a big you know like platform is because some people who fucking had platforms dug what I was saying and then boosted my signal. So that's kind of that's the way this whole game works. And I think but you, you're but kinda, you didn't have to pay it forward and you did, Dave. And that's well, that's I th right. I think there's. Well. I think there's an obligation to do that, you know? And so, like, that's, I think you have to make sure you do that, you know, and, like, pick other people up. And then try oh, to choose sure. wisely, you know, try to, like, make sure you pick the right uh, people. Um, but that's great, dude. And that's uh, that's that's encouraging to me. And, uh, you know, it's, like, it it's it's a cool thing to see when there's someone who you think is, like, oh, I think this guy's doing something really cool, and then a whole bunch of other people, like, see it, too. It almost kind of, like reaffirms to me that like right. oh yeah i was right about that okay good, good. yeah yeah for That's... sure you're like i still got it i still got the the read <laughs> on the pulse of the people um and the reason i wanted to bring it up is because i i read this great article today uh, by dan sanchez sanchez who works over at fee uh and he has a bunch of quotes in here from leonard reed who was the founder of fee uh, that's mm -hmm. the foundation for economic education i believe uh he says here then is the key question what constitutes an influential opinion in the context of moral, social, economic, and political philosophy, influential opinion stems from or rests upon depth of understanding, strength of conviction, and the power of attractive exposition. These are the ingredients of self-perfection as relating to a set of ideas. Persons who thus improve their understanding, dedication, and exposition are the leaders of men. The rest of us are followers, including the out-front political personalities. And, you know, first thing I thought of when I'm reading that is... Well, and he, he goes on to expound that it, it doesn't ultimately require that you indoctrinate half of the population. You're never going to get half of the population to understand economics or history or human nature the way we kind of just dive headfirst into studying these things. Um, is that kind of your framework? Do you do you agree with him that it's it's not about getting democratic rule per se, but rather taking two or three percent of the population and and being the leaders of the people yeah I well I certainly agree with that part I'd have to think a little bit more about the first part of that quote that's that's kind of an interesting thought but I certainly agree that I think the um, the the idea that we need 51 percent of the population or something like that is all an illusion like it's um first off no one ever I hear Jeff dice talked a bunch about this in a speech but if you looked at um like I, I think he was talking about Reagan's landslide win. Like Reagan mm. won like 40 something states in his reelection yeah. campaign. But if you look at the total percentage of Americans who voted for Ronald Reagan that year, it's like 23, 24% or something like that. Like, no, mm -hmm. even he didn't have like 51%, right? Because only like half the voting uh, eligible public actually True. votes. And then, like, out of that percent. So it's all of these <clears throat> things are kind of, you know, the vast majority of the population kind of just follows and that doesn't mean by the way because every this is uh there's nuance to this it's not a binary that doesn't mean they don't lead in some other capacity you know what i mean but like of when it comes to politics they just right. kind of follow in the, in the same sense that we're all if you think about all the areas that we're just followers in like we're there's so many like that of like, course you know like i have a problem in my house with like my hot water system or something i call a guy who's an expert he tells me a thing to do and i go hmm, okay you know right. and i don't know like that's and that's it <laughs> I, I hope you're not trust. ripping me off yes and that's about the extent of my thought Ex on that exactly and that's it you know like maybe you ask someone else is this guy a good guy is he ripping right. me off and then you go all right he doesn't know all right whatever um 
But so it's not, no, I, I definitely agree with that part, that it's never been to me what, what we're after isn't winning over the entire American population. Of course, you, you understand that only so many people are going to like read Mises and Rothbard or something like that. But right. the idea is, can we, you know, if there's so many people who are, you know, like Murray Rothbard and, and Walter Block and some of the real old school, like originators of the American libertarian movement, they'll talk about how the whole libertarian movement was like 15 people in a living room at one point in the sixties, you know, like that was it, <laughs> that was a right. libertarian movement. And now we've got like, I mean, at least hundreds of thousands of people, you know what I mean, who are in this sure. thing. And so, okay, so if we could go from that, from 15 to hundreds of thousands, can we go to like 5 million? Like, can we can we level up and go to 5? Because that's a big, and then if we got to 5 million, could we level up one more time and go to 10 million? If we could do that, I think we, we live in a drastically different country than we live in right now. Because the major problem we have right now is that there's just not enough of us. And, mm. and that's kind of, you know, like there'll, there'll be uh, different disputes within the liberty movement about like uh, what strategy is the best and like should we pursue this or pursue that. But every single strategy has the same fucking problem with it, that there's not enough of us. Right. And so that's my whole mission is like what I specialize in is just trying to create more of us. And mm -hmm. I think that if we were theoretically, if we were to get five million hardcore libertarians in this country think about the options we have now oh now we have the option to really pursue like very meaningful strategies i mean now yep. we could run for local offices and win and like dominate and really start like privatizing and nullifying things now right. we could have like large numbers of people pulling their kids out of the public school system now we could geographically relocate and all be in one place and have it be like you know the free state project times up thousand you know what i mean like mm -hmm. i just so my whole thing is like i think we're in the phase of yeah trying to get as many people as we can but yeah it's not about getting the the entirety or even the majority of the american people it's about us actually getting enough people that we can implement some solutions and then let it build from there and then most people you know mo most people beyond that they're going to respond to like what the leaders around them say and what works oh this yeah. works okay then if it works then fine yeah, That's no, I, I, I think that was kind of the point he was making with it is that, you know, it, well, I'll add to what you just said there is that I think that it's something there's something different between just having five million really good libertarians and having five, you know, a couple million that are able to expound on our belief system in a way that's compelling, that live really successful lives, that are influential in their community that have people that look up to them and are willing to listen to what they have to say, even if they don't necessarily understand their belief system, but they just go, I'm following that dude. Like that dude is doing yeah. something different and well, it's special. You know, I agree, but it's all like divisional labor stuff, right? So like you need people like that. Like we need kind of like, you know, what Hoppe would call the natural elites. And you yeah, need I guess as that's many of those, what I'm doing. But, yeah. the, but, but that's, but you need as many of those as you can get. And it'd be really amazing. And believe me, I spend but behind the scenes. I spend time trying to get like the most, you know, mm -hmm. wealthiest, most powerful, influential people like on board with our, our cause. And you need that. But cough, you also cough, need Elon Musk. Hello. Well, 
Sorry. Yeah, look, I mean, I'll say the, the Elon Musk and fucking, um, you know, Peter Thiel and like there's right. lo there's lots of different guys who are like, look, they're not. The problem that we have right now is that like, you know, all these guys are kind of on welfare. So it's like yes. hard to it's hard to completely convince them of the whole program. But yeah, you need as many of those guys as you can have. Um, but you also need foot soldiers for those guys. And you yeah. also need people, you know, like so there's lots of different roles. Um, but the bigger it gets the more opportunity you have to get more of all of them. Obviously, yeah. foot soldiers are a little bit easier to come across than uh, Elon Musk's. Yeah, well, yeah, no kidding. Um, that that's actually brings me up kind of naturally into my next point. I was going to say, I, I asked Dan about this after reading his article. I said, what, what do you think Leonard Reed would think about me as being one of those people? And I know it's a very you know, narcissistic question to ask, but I was just curious. And, and he's like, I think that, that he, would, he would agree that you're good at expounding on our beliefs, uh, it's obvious that you believe them deeply. You have a good understanding, a great grasp on all of these issues. Uh, I think the one thing that Leonard Reed would disagree with you on is that you have sided historically with, or not historically, very recently, with state action to defend against federal action. Um, his example being DeSantis, you know, going right. after the corporations and the wokeness and all that stuff. And, um, you know, I, I'm the first to admit, you know, I am, I am using a statist level defense mechanism against a much in my opinion, more dangerous and, uh, and, and harder to identify federal state power or federal power that's uh, infiltrating state activity through education and things like that. Um, where did you come down on that? Uh, did you, have you concluded that, you know, it's, it's a worthwhile endeavor for De DeSantis to be doing these things? Or do you think that, that libertarians should not be supporting these actions? Well, what you mean specifically like the anti-libertarian things that he was doing? Like, so obviously we're all for him ending lockdowns when he ended lockdowns oh, yeah, and no, we're all for him. So are you like, what are we talking about here? The most, banning most, private most, businesses from like requiring vaccines yeah, or something Yeah, like I that? mean, that would be one example. Uh, also his willingness to, uh, well, the, what he's doing to fight against ESG, I think is completely libertarian actually. Right, he's, right. He's saying... You can like we're going to take our state pensions and you can't manage it under ESG guidance that that to me, there's no problem there. But kind of the lip service that he gave against Disney, things like that, they felt like that was stepping over a line where, uh, a, you know, a politician with significant power was going up against a quote unquote private business. And then we can get into the argument of whether or not these are truly private businesses, because I think it's it's far too overstated that they are. Um, but, yeah, that's what I'm asking about. Like, where, so, where did you come down on, on some of the policies he's rolled out? OK, so at. At the very least, right, like, I, I think that, so what I've seen, I've, and I've talked about this a bit on my show before, right, but even if you're going to be um, a libertarian, like Dan, uh, Dan McAdams made mm. this point uh, in, in a speech that he gave, I think it was at the Mises Institute, I can't exactly remember, it was a couple of years ago, where he was basically saying that his rule is never do the bidding of the regime. So no matter what, you know, you, you, if you're a libertarian in the year, you know, 2002, you don't write articles about how authoritarian Saddam Hussein is, <laughs> right. even, even though he is, of course, you know, he yeah. is, he was a really brutal dictator. Um, yeah. but if you're writing a piece about what a brutal dictator Saddam Hussein is without including like you could mention that and then include all of the important parts. But if you're just saying that and nothing else, then it's like, what are you really doing here, dude? Right. Like, right. okay, yeah, that you're right about that, but now you're just covering for the, the much bigger threat, 
which is this war that is being pushed right now, which is about to start, which we all saw coming for a full year before it started, right? Mm -hmm. So there's part of it is that. Part of it is that you go, look, even if this isn't perfect, I'm not, the much greater threat is the COVID regime, not mm -hmm. the person fighting against the COVID regime. So I'm not spending any of my time going, well, you know, it's not perfectly libertarian to tell right. a business that they can't discriminate against the unvaccinated when literally the president of the United States of America at the time, I mean, was telling luckily, them to do it. luckily the Supreme Court struck this down, but right. he said that he was in invoking OSHA to make sure you fire your unvaccinated workers from any mid-sized company and up, you know, 100 workers or more, even small businesses and up. So, okay, no. So I'm not uh, like in the same way that like, uh, you know, how ridiculous it is when Cato was running those pieces like, well, you know, the libertarian case for, you know, vaccine mandates or any of this shit it's like oh all of a sudden now your libertarianism comes in like you don't right. the first thing you say isn't just that like oh the vaccine was funded with taxpayer mon money that it's shielded from liability by the government that it's being mandated by the government the thing you say is that private businesses have the right to do this or what so that's so you, you always have to be like a human being about how you apply your theory and don't do cover for the worst violators of it and right. the, the federal government of the United States of America is the most anti-liberty, anti-human force on the planet, the greatest purveyors of violence in, in, in the world. So, no, I'm not ever, like, catching their back. But even beyond that, so that's just level one, enough to at least, like, be like, I'm not going to get into the game of, of condemning them. But even beyond that, I'd say, look, yeah, ideally, we're... I'm an ANCAP. Ideally, there'd be no statism, and, and I want to do anything we can to move toward a world closer to that. However, am I really against a less powerful form of statism resisting a larger form of statism trying to impose themselves on that smaller form? Like, I don't know. If, if you know, if some little country is attacked by a big country and they defend themselves, I'm not going to sit there and say, no, that's a state military you're using to defend yourself. Like, I I, I don't know. Um, I, it, I really don't was... even understand the, the, the line of reasoning because it's like, like, this is, you're talking about tens of thousands of people that probably would have lost their jobs in the state of Florida if it weren't for DeSantis's decisions to pressure private businesses not to go along with federal dictates. I yeah. mean, that... That to me is a net win for liberty, and I and I guess when you say net, automatically you're you're already you know taking the lesser of two evils, I guess. But I just yeah. think it's like it's yeah, I don't know. Yeah, but like taking the lesser of two evils isn't necessarily wrong. I don't have a problem taking the lesser of two evils. The reason why I'm not going to pick between a Democrat and Republican president is because they're both so insanely evil, and the lesser one is like one centimeter less. <laughs> right. But like if they were like twenty percent less, I'd go oh, yeah, okay, fine. Like it's sure. it, you know just, just like to take the point. Like it's like if someone goes. Like, uh, I don't know, if there was a president, a presidential candidate who was running and seriously was going to be able to implement this, just hypothetically speaking, they were going to say, hey, look, I'm going to make the income tax 5%. I'm going to make federal spending 3% of the, the federal in, of the national income. I'm going to make, you know, I'm going to cut our military down budget by 90%. I'm going to do all these things. Would you go, 
but that's the lesser of evils. You know, that's <laughs> like, it's like, okay, right. yes, technically it is, but it's still so much better that I'm yeah. okay. Like, I'm not against picking that. Don't make the perfect the enemy of the good. You know what sure. I mean? It's just there has to be actually be something of substance that differentiates you between the, the, the others. You know, it's, there's, there's just got to be some reasonable threshold where you're enough less evil. So like, no, Donald Trump, even if you want to say he's the lesser evil than like Hillary Clinton, it's like, you just have to have a threshold there. Like, now, if you're going to keep Fauci as the head of your pandemic response, that's not good enough. That Sorry, then then like, you're not right. good enough for me. Preview of our, my debate with sticks. I was uh, just going to say. <laughs> we'll get into <laughs> that later. But so, but, but yeah, but to your point, there's also, there's all types of gray areas that exist. And it's hard to kind of like parse these things out exactly. But when even when joe biden announces like that there's this osha mandate and then it was in dispute over whether it's happening in the courts and then no one knows exactly how much further they're going to move you know a business saying we're not going to hire unvaccinated people are they completely acting within a free market not exactly. They're kind of responding no. to like incentives and, and threats by the government. So then DeSantis is using government force against them. Like, no, you can't do this. Okay, is that perfectly libertarian? No. Do I prefer that form of statism to the other form of statism? 100%. So yeah, I'm, I'm just like, I, you know, I pick my battles of what I decide that I'm going to fucking rail against. And what right. I always try to do is like, it's the Scott Horton rule. It's the worst things first. The worst mm. things the government does first. And then down the road, you know, like I have in, in my town where I live, there's a, uh, um, like the, there, there's a government garbage uh, company. And all the mm. towns around it. Oh, I think we talked about this on the panel that we were on down in uh, oh, that's right. yeah, Americans yeah, yeah. for Liberty. All the towns yep. around us have private, but we have public here. Everyone in the town loves it. They just all love them. And they're good guys. They do a really good job. Yeah. It's like, I'm just not going to spend too much time fighting against that because <laughs> no. it's just it's very low on the list. But yeah, yeah. you know, if in 100 years we've solved all these other problems and I'm still alive at 139, <laughs> you know, I'll go, OK, we really need to privatize this garbage. Uh, well, it's like, it's, company. it's like you were saying, you know, what are we going to do without Brian Stelter? Well, then we'll be to the point of being able to talk about the uh, the public garbage collection. But <laughs> yes, right, right. <laughs> until, exactly. Until we rid ourselves of all these people. Uh, you know, we still have a lot to talk about. Yeah, we got a lot of we got a long way to go. Yeah. And and I think your point is well taken that, you know, you don't it, like any libertarian that I would see either rocking a Ukraine flag or railing against the, the evils of Putin right now. It's like even if we all agree, uh, you know, if it weren't in a time of potential World War Three, that Putin is a very bad guy, I still am not going to be. I'm not going to be adding to that propaganda uh, push to try and drag us further into this obvious transparent yeah. proxy war. Well, yeah, I mean, just like, uh, yeah, look, Putin is he's an authoritarian and he's a bad guy. And all and, and like it's horrible that he invaded Ukraine and all these people are dying, of course. But at the same time, you know, it's like imagine if Ron Paul had gotten on stage in the 2008 debates and he had said, you know, he had his two minutes to speak or whatever. And he went, you know, I just want to say that Osama bin Laden is evil <laughs> and Al-Qaeda is evil. And what happened on 9-11 was wrong. Right. Innocent people died and that was wrong to kill them. It's like, I mean, yes, that's all true. 
but what are you adding to the conversation? Mm -hmm. And we libertarians have something really important to add to the conversation. Right. And so what we have to spend our time doing is not just like repeating the things that number one are obvious points that everyone already agrees with. And number two are only backing up the regime's awful policies. What we're supposed to do is get in there and say like, wait, no, here's what we're doing that's all wrong, that provoked this situation, that's 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 inflaming this situation, that's prolonging the war in Ukraine. Here's what we could be doing to try to put an end to this. You know, it's like, that's, it, it's just, this has always been so obvious to me that I don't even understand how this is, you know, amongst our people even a conversation but i will I say know. also you know it does as we've kind of figured out uh over the last few years the the vast majority of us kind of get this and so it's like oh, yeah. yeah no that's that's not what you do you don't spend your time and your platform you have you have uh every and i'm very well aware of this like uh when i if i get on a cable news show or if i get on rogan's show or when i speak on my show or every day or tim pool or whatever when i'm on your show all these, sure. all these moments are precious. Yep. You only have so many moments where people are listening to you. And your job in those moments is to say some important shit that they, like, say something that's going to, like, really, you know, okay, this is, I only have so much time to talk to you right now. I got to say the thing that's going to mean something. And right. what I'm trying to tell you right now, you know, is, like, that it's, like, you got to say the thing that's going to mean something. Mm -hmm. You can't just say the thing that fucking sounds like what everybody else is saying. What good does that do? How does right. that ever move the needle? So our job is that we have these these truths, these really important truths that so many other people don't know about. We got to give them that in the same way that someone gave that to us and made us go, oh, shit, that's a whole different way to think about things. That's our job. Give uh, that to yeah. as many people as you can. I, I think that is definitional leadership and it is also narrative setting. You know, you are really you are setting the counter narrative because the. This is basically what we're talking about is what, there is a narrative of Putin evil, do anything to stop him. We don't need to add to that narrative. That's really what it's about. Right. It's like it's not it's not us overlooking his evils. It's not a, us rooting for him in any fashion. It is realizing that the, the deck is already stacked against us. The scales are already tilted like this with the media apparatus that is, you know, drumming the uh, the war sound as, as hard as they possibly can. What are you going to do with your reach, whatever that amounts to, whoever you are, uh, to try and turn that tide? And uh, yeah, I think that's really an important lesson. Let me let me thank uh, one other sponsor real quick, and that is a brand new sponsor. Solar Lifestyle is a veteran-owned family solar panel harnessing company. They believe in the power of a family-first customer service experience, and of course, the power of the. Their mission statement is simple to help others in their pursuit of happiness. Well, that sounds good to me. That's it, plain and simple. Whether it be driving across the country, living the van life, camping in the mountains, or living off the grid, helping people live their best life is how they live theirs. They are offering free shipping on all of their products. They have a 30-day price match guarantee. When you spend $100, they will donate $10 to charity of your choice on your behalf. That's kind of cool. Uh, Chad, who is the owner, is a veteran of the United States Marine Corps. He is also an Eagle Scout with the BSA, who at the time of this writing to remain untouched by his Scoutmaster. <laughs> You're not supposed to in include stuff that makes me laugh in the ad copy. What are you guys doing? Uh, <laughs> he says their Scoutmaster was his dad, by the way, so we are cool. He says he's a hardcore libertarian who wants the government to leave him alone. I like it. Here's a link tree uh, with all their social links. Uh, it'll be down below. And also go check them out at solarpowerlifestyle.com. They have a quiz on there that'll help you 
on how to find the best solution for whatever your needs are. And if uh, civilization melts down, you're going to need these options. Again, solarpowerlifestyle.com. And we're back with Dave Smith. Sorry, I got to pay the bills here. Um, so I, I was thinking about, well, you were talking about that, like the, you know, fleeting time and uh, and how you only have a moment to reach people. Have that opportunity. Don't, don't fuck around. Don't blow it. And that kind of brought me into a, my more Duncan Trussell mindset. I don't know if you listen to Duncan Trussell on Rogan ever, but he is like, yeah, I, I did his, uh, I did his show before I'm friends with Duncan. Uh, he's a good dude. Oh, awesome. Okay, cool. Uh, I've been listening to him forever. Uh, he definitely, he fulfills my more woo woo spiritual side. And, uh, you know, I just, just turned 40, just had my birthday two weeks ago. So I was actually with you when it happened, which is weird. Uh, that's and, right. We all celebrated together. And Clint, uh, Spike kept clowning on me. It was hilarious. <laughs> Um, but it just, it just, I guess maybe I'm, uh, I'm having an existential crisis, which is why I drive a Corvette. Um, <laughs> so I'm just thinking about, you know, what is for you, what is the, uh, what's your, what's your driving force? And I know obviously it's, it's your family at this point in your life, but in terms of your career, um, are you still able to see, you know, the, the greater good of what you're capable of accomplishing with your messaging or do you get dragged down with the, you know, what are my download numbers? What, what kind of revenue am I show producing? Are you able to, to, do you still maintain that exact same passion and fire that you had when you first started your show? I don't know if it was 10 years ago now, but it's been a while. Uh, I'm just curious because I've been doing this for two years and I, I don't feel like it has waned for me at all, uh, but it's, I haven't been doing it that long. So I'm just curious how it is for you. Well, uh, Clint, my download numbers and revenue make me quite happy these days so i'm uh they they are not dragging me down at all um no i i uh i you know look man my my driving force is my wife and my two little kids and that's you know what that's that's what really matters to me and i you know every every day man i watching my two little kids play with each other and fall in love with each other more and more and just right. what you know this like this crazy thing that me and my wife like made these two human beings who are half each of us and now they have a relationship together and it's just the most beautiful thing in the world and so that's that in a way i think uh having kids solves all of those issues for me i have i have no option to not be optimistic about the future. You know what I mean? Sure. Like I have no option to sit back and think about like, you know, well, what if things don't work out or something? It's like, no, my job is to make them work out. And that's that. Um, I uh, look like anybody else. I have my ups and downs and my moods and times where I feel really great about things and times where there's a little bit of a lull. My career is a very kind of like exciting thing. And so there are these big bursts of where it's like, oh shit, I just got this huge show or I just got this huge thing or I got, got this huge check or I got this and you know, like that. And then there's like little lulls where th things aren't, and you know, it's, so you have to deal with that and kind of deal with your mood, you know, like going up and down. But right. To me, I I think that I did I was in the game for a long time before it took off for me. Mm -hmm. Like I was in I was in I, I've been doing stand up comedy for like I I think fifteen years? years, fifteen, sixteen okay. years, something like that. And I've been a libertarian well, I've been a libertarian since like two thousand late two thousand seven, two thousand eight. So what is so that? Fifteen years. 
15 years. So I've been doing stand-up for at least 17 years or, or 16, yeah, 17 yeah, yeah. years. And so it was a long time. And it was long enough. I'm kind of blessed that it was so long where there was so long at the bottom that I really appreciate what I have. Mm -hmm. Like I don't, maybe there'll be some time where I do. I hope that doesn't happen, but I don't take anything I have for granted. Like I think it's amazing that I get to like fucking have this huge platform and I get to speak to so many people and I get to do stand-up shows in front of sold-out crowds and that I get to make a really good living and support my family in a really nice way off of all of this. I'm like very grateful for that. And I'm very well aware of how many people like have much harder paths than I have for and sure. don't have nearly as as much of the like don't reap the rewards that I do for it. So sure. I kind of try, I always try to keep that in mind and, and that keeps me very appreciative of all of what I do. And I always, I, you know, I, I try to keep in mind, like I've mentioned this before, I might've mentioned it on, on your show before, but I, I, I always try to keep in mind, like the, the struggle of people like my grandfather, like Ludwig von Mises, you know, like our guy, uh, who, is literally like this Jewish guy in fucking Austria preaching free market economics during the rise of communism in, in the Soviet Union and Nazism in his own country that has to fucking flee and come to America and starts writing books in his like third language. And just, you know, it's like, like, you know, it's it, it, people go like, oh, my God, it's all hopeless. It's like, look, I look at these guys who kept trudging forward. And what are we we're going to sit here and say this is hopeless for us. So I this this all keeps me in a very positive attitude. I I'm I'm very um, quick to see the upside in yeah. everything. And I think that I, I also, uh, you know, like I, I remember in, in what I call kind of like the libertarian dark ages, which were like from like 2014 to 2000, like, like 19 kind shout of. Out, shout out like, to Nick Sarwak. <laughs> well, but not just the party. For, it's much I know, bigger I know, than I know. him. Know, he was always, he was always fairly irrelevant. Honestly, Nick Sarwak is, is a fucking hero in the liberty movement because he sparked in many ways the resurgence like he absolutely gave, he was the like f the driving thing we needed almost to go oh yeah oh he pissed off the fucking mob that came in and took this thing over and so yeah. i don't he was the you know, yin to your yang that's that's <laughs> the only contribution that he'll ever make to anything and besides that it's just irrelevance the, the only contribution right. he made was lighting a fire under the mises caucus revolution you know um so but in those years after Ron Paul was running for president, where Rand Paul kind of fell flat in his presidential campaign, where Gary Johnson and Bill Weld humiliated themselves in the name of libertarianism and all of this stuff, and there was just, there was kind of the rise of the alt-right and the Bannonist populist right and all these different groups, and we kind of receded to the background. And I remember in those days just really being, like, missing the Ron Paul revolution so much, and I just wished mm -hmm. we had more of that. And now, 
over the last couple years. You know, I see guys like you taking off. I see the Mises Caucus taking over the Libertarian Party. You see Eric July and Maj Ture and Michael Malice and Scott Horton, all this stuff. Scott Horton, I remember, dude, just like a few years ago, this guy had like no following. Now he's like huge. He's all over the place and like all these things. And of course, like there's the guys who carried the torch the whole way, like Tom Woods and Jeff Dice and all these guys. But I just... I feel like, whoa, this movement is back. It's back in a big way. Yes, government tyranny is worse than it's ever been, but also, like, didn't, like, I think two million kids were pulled out of the public school system over the last couple of years. I think that people are, like, there, there's there's these other things, like the, the trust in int institutions has completely evaporated. Yeah, I just see all fun. of these things to be optimistic about, you know? And so that's... That's what I try to focus on because kind of, I've kind of learned a lot, pro probably one of my biggest lessons over the last year, um, particularly just with personal stuff like what, what happened with the, the birth of my son and stuff like that. Like my biggest lesson over the last year of my life was that there are situations in life where, you, you know, like glass is half full, glass is half empty type thing. Neither one of those statements is wrong. Technically, mm -hmm. they're both true, right? Sure. You can you can feel it's sorry, right? You can feel sorry for yourself for what you don't have, or you can be grateful for what you do have. And neither of those things is factually more incorrect than the other one. But mm -hmm. one of them's a hell of a lot more productive than the other one. Right. You know what I mean? Like yeah. one of them does nothing for anybody, <clears throat> including yourself. But more importantly, probably the people around you. And one of them will carry everyone around you through this difficult moment. And so, like, I, I just, like, have, have really learned in a very profound way that it's, like, that's not – I don't do that. I don't sit around and feel sorry for myself and go boo-hoo, oh, everything's so bad and all of this. That doesn't help anyone. That's not my job. Like, I have – First and foremost, I have a family who looks to me to lead them. And then on top of that, I also have this career where like a lot of people are looking to me as like some type of leader or something. And my Absolutely. job is to fucking my job is to be a fucking leader for them. So oh, yeah. I'm gonna talk about what's positive. I'm gonna focus on that and we're gonna get from point A to point B together. That's yeah. kind of like that's that's my big the biggest life lesson I've had in the last year has been that. That that's I what's productive and helps. I love it. I mean, uh, I think you know, that's, that's also just kind of a, uh, it's a good life lesson, you know, no matter who you are, or what you believe in. It's like, if you're, if you, if you think that you can't possibly succeed, you're almost certainly not gonna. Um, yeah. so as that Henry I, and, Ford quote, whether you think you can or you can't, you're right. You're right. Exactly. You know? Yeah. Yeah. And, and I think your point's well taken that it, it's, you know, I, I spent the, cause I'm a second gen libertarian. I've been a libertarian basically since I was a small kid. So I spent my entire life alone with these beliefs <laughs> you know, like, and now I have 50,000 followers yeah. on Twitter. I have uh, over a million people have listened to my show. Like I've been on shows with hundreds of thousands of people listening at a single clip. Um, it's incredible. I mean, the, the, the amount of like if you can frame it in that fashion, the progress that we've made is astonishing. And then you have people like yourself who are reaching far, far more people and our ideas are being, you know, received with open arms by by people who would have never considered us in the past. I think we're making enormous progress. And, um, you know, because we're not winning on the political level in terms of actually seeing our ideas implemented and, and having the power of the state behind them, a lot of people overlook all of these incredible uh, steps in the right direction that we're that we're making collectively. 
and doing it in an individualistic fashion. It's amazing the the amount of support I get from from my audience. The you know I, we have a hundred and twelve live comments right now that are people begging down my door trying to get me to ask you questions. It, it's it's an amazing time to be alive. The technology obviously plays a part in this, um, but also it's just kind of that natural period where shit is so bad that people are willing to look for some alternative answers to the questions. And and the libertarians have not just alternative answers, but they happen to be the right ones. Uh, yeah. So don't don't blow it. Don't don't waste this opportunity, and certainly don't allow the the encroaching tyranny to. Uh, to make you feel as if it's helpless because it's just clearly not like there's going to be an inflection point we're kind of in a fourth turning type moment and it's going to be tough there's no doubt about that but at the same time like i don't know the way i i come at life is like you can you can run from the battle or you can just look at it and be like i'm gonna win this shit you know like i feel yeah, like that I, and it even, seems kind of crazy but i feel that way yeah and, and that's what life is right like that's right. kind of the whole thing is that it's it's always a battle and there's always suffering involved in that and that's so i'm not trying to like downplay that and i'm not saying like to anyone out there like this isn't going to be hard or you won't right. go through hard times but that's always the, it's this weird kind of like yin and yang of life it's like okay well do you want to you want to fall in love with someone okay then you have to risk having your heart broken that's how it happens. There's no other way to do it. There is no way to really be in love without risking being devastated, right? Because yep. like if that, but okay, so what's the response to that? To not to, to find love? Like, okay, that, that doesn't seem like the winning solution to me. And if you think about any hero story in any book or movie ever, Who's the hero? The guy who doesn't want to risk anything <laughs> or take that chance? No, of course. Like we, He takes we on the giant. Know, Right, we all know that's what the the plan is, and and look, even if you're gonna go for this, and we're gonna pursue this, you know, kind of like uh, um, this voyage, this battle together, and maybe we'll lose at the end of it. But if that's true, then we would lose not pursuing it anyway. Sure. So what would you rather do? Like I, I, I say, let's go for it. And there's also something. Fight, there, there's something like. I don't know, maybe this is like uh, something that I'll, I'll even have trouble like articulating, but there's beauty in just telling the truth as you see it. There's beauty in the, in the, um, the pursuit of what you're trying to chase, whether or Absolutely. not we ever get there. There's something about it that's just like it's, it's powerful uh, to, to be on the march. And so that's, you know, that's how I look at it. And Honestly, like, 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 in so many ways, we're, uh, like, like you said, we're way better off than we've ever been before. We have way more numbers and way more ability to communicate with people than we've ever had before. And there is, there really is potential. You know, something that's like really beautiful about modern uh, civilization is that, for as bad as things get with like say government corruption or even just like how poisonous the our, our culture is and things like that kind of outside the scope of just strict libertarianism there's also this ability that like you know when um when hong kong say what was it in the, in the 70s or whatever when they kind of like liberalized markets their economic growth was so rapid because they weren't doing this in the 1860s during the industrial revolution there was already all this knowledge 
of how to right. build factories that could just be imported. Like, and they, yeah. they could just build them up right away, you know? And like, you know, I, I think back, um, you know, if you ever read, there was this great book by, um, what was it, James Grant? I'm looking over my bookshelf right now because I have it here somewhere. But the uh, the crash of 21, something like about that. You know, in 1921, there was a bigger crash than the Great Depression. Uh, like the, it was bigger than 1929, but the government just, the Fed had just been created and yeah. the income tax and they didn't do anything. And it just all it over, fixed over itself in, in like a year. <laughs> yeah, it all right. fixed itself. And like, as bad as this is, as bad as this is right now, if we were to do all the right things, I think probably it'd be a few years before this mm. could all be over. As bad as this bubble is, it'd be really, really bad for a few years and then it'd be over and we could recover. So there, there, there's almost this thing like, now it's very tough to get, our government to do the right thing granted it's still a daunting task but there's so much potential you know in in modern times and so i just like i don't know i i tend to just see myself like orienting myself toward the positive there and saying yeah look at what could happen who knows yeah, right and who's I, to say just, it can't slavery no. was fucking abolished we used to have That's slavery crazy. and then yeah. it was just abolished you know what i mean and okay america is not the best example there was a civil war but in other countries they just abolished it yeah. they didn't fight a civil war they just went we're gonna stop doing this this would seem insane there's so many like there are these big leaps in human history where there's just um, enormous progress made and doesn't it kind of feel like we could be on the verge of one of I those totally right now absolutely yeah and we had thousands of years of the entrenchment of the institution of slavery globally. And it was just like over, you know, a 30 year period, it was like 90% gone. You know, yep. that's, that's yep. incredible progress. And if you, if you view the state as slavery, well, you never know. Yeah, I'm just saying. exactly. Uh, let me, let me also add what you were talking about with how there's something beautiful about the pursuit of truth. I, I couldn't help but think about like artwork. Um, and I don't just mean, you know, paintings and things like that but comedy uh, i'm sure you can relate to this there is something just beautiful about the pursuit of truth in the form of the comedic uh exploration where you can like someone who's there's something where it's it's obviously you cannot have a point to your comedy whatsoever and that's uh, that can be very funny too um but if you're if you're like as gifted as someone like dave Chappelle, where you are drawing attention to a an obvious truth that is an unpopular in your era um it has not just the cathartic effect of laughter, but also the cathartic effect of hearing someone finally tell the fucking truth. Yeah. And uh, I think that's, that's a beautiful thing, too. No, I agree. So I would actually argue that all the comedy uh, is, is to some degree a pursuit, a pursuit of truth. Like okay. even the one that you're saying is just goofy and stupid, like that right. isn't like making some huge social commentary is still pursuing some type of truth, no matter what like level it is. It's like it's pursuing something that is real and absurd. That's what all comedy is. It's a mix of like uh, what is what is actual and what is absurd and mm -hmm. mixing them together in some fashion. So like so e even uh, like Brian Regan or someone like that who's very, <laughs> right. very funny. But yes. he might just be doing goofy jokes about, like, you know, whatever, like some saying and why it's so silly. But you listen to that and you're like, no, that, that's true. That saying right. really right. is so silly. Like, it, it, there is something to it that it's ridiculous, but it's also true. So there's mm. always something. But yes, to your point, like, the, the kind of, like, social commentary type comics and stuff like that, yeah, I mean, don't, like... There's something, if you watch like Dave Chappelle at his best or Bill Burr at his best or, you know, Chris Rock at his best, 
there's like there's something magical about it. It's yep. not just that they're making you laugh. It's like, fuck, that guy is nailing it. He is yep. telling me something. And don't and and there's something about the human spirit that just enjoys that. Just enjoys mm-hmm. someone like telling them some shit that's real. And uh yeah, I don't know. I think it's it's beautiful as much as you can be around that force is just the greatest thing in the world. Well, I I can't help but point out then you live a pretty beautiful life my dude like you you are surrounded by the best comedians that are all pursuing the truth of their comedic endeavor you're also surrounded by the best in my opinion of the intellectual libertarian you know the the vanguard of our movement um you live a life very deeply entrenched in the truth is that uh was that a conscious decision or do you think you were just naturally drawn towards it um yeah, look, dude, I'm very, I'm very blessed in both of those regards. Like, I'm really, I've, I've, uh, I've surrounded myself with some really incredible people and uh, incredible talents. Um, I don't know. It was, I, I guess, in some way, I was always kind of like that's what I was drawn to, and that's what yeah. I always kind of like moved closer and closer to. Um, you know, my, uh, I, I'm very, very fortunate i mean not to say that none of it you know was like there there were wise decisions that i made there was a lot of hard work that i put in myself but i'm i'm very fortunate to have ended up in this situation a lot of things came together for me and to just have like uh to have the wife i have and the family i have and the comedian friends that i have and the like libertarian intellectuals that i have around me i'm i'm it all came together in a way that was, you know, really could have easily not worked out that way. So I'm very fortunate for that. But yeah, but that's always what I've been attracted to. Look, I mean, I think it's the thing. And a lot of us, I'm sure a lot of people listening, you know, can kind of relate to this. Like that was always, look, I saw Ron Paul talking to Rudy Giuliani in 2007. And I was like, fuck, yes, (laughs) that guy, you know, that's my shit. Like what that guy's doing. And why is it? Why was I so drawn to that? It was just like, I don't know. I, I yeah. like the guy telling the fucking truth and the hard right. truth. And then, so, okay, yes, I want more of that, you know? And so yeah. I was always like, even when, when I had none of this, you know, around me, I was, that was what I was drawn to. And yeah. so, but being drawn to that and focusing my entire life toward that ended up putting me in this situation. So, yeah, I mean, it's a mix I think of a lot a of things. In that, though. I think yeah. there's a lesson in that, that, you know, a, if you are, kind of singularly focused, even if it's not that you're consciously singularly focused, but just whatever your intrinsic makeup is that draws you towards these things. Cause I, I obviously share that, you know, that's why I was such a huge fan of yours and why we become friends relatively quickly is that, you know, it's just this, this desire for just sincere soul speaking truth. And, yeah. uh, and I, I think that's why Ron Paul inspired so many of us to to follow in his footsteps, even if we couldn't do it to his level, um, but just to try our best, you know, just to try yeah. and carry on that legacy, that torch that he lit. That's just so such a beautiful thing. And um, I well, don't know. and I, I remember even thinking like fucking I remember like before, you know, I was like a big fan of Rogan way before he ever fucking sure. heard of me. And I remember like having this thought that I was like, dude, I bet Rogan would love what I have to say. 
Like, yeah. I bet he would. <laughs> and, like, then when he fucking, he heard me on Ari's podcast, which is how he found me to begin right. with, and he told Ari, he was like, yo, I love what Dave's saying. And I was like, yeah, I knew it. I knew he would fucking love what I have to say. You know, like, there's just, and then it's like, yeah. there, there's something about this kind of kindred spirits thing, yes. like, where it's like, For yeah, sure. dude, like, I'll hear you talking about ESGs or some shit. And I'm like, yeah, fuck yeah, dude. Like, Clint's <laughs> fucking nailing it. And I love it. And you know a bunch more about that shit than I know. You know what I mean? And I'll be like, oh, yeah, yeah. Oh, that's a really good fucking point. And like, it's so interesting when you like have these people who are all, you, you already know we all care about the same kind of like right. universal thing. And then it's like, if anyone comes at it from a different angle, you go, ooh, okay. Yeah, that's fucking exactly, great. Exactly, dude. You know, I was talking I swear about- to God, on, half on, the time I listen to your show, I'm just listening for like a different angle because you have a different yeah. expertise than I do. And you, you, you have this really incredible gift of highlighting, um, I don't know, like sh cultural shifts and things like that. You're just- it's it's just uh it's the, you you see things I don't see and I see some things that you don't see and I, sure, I just think sure. it's like it's division of labor you know it's like yeah yeah well that's right labor. well I was I was talking about on my show today uh that'll be out in a, a few days um it was, I was talking we were talking a bunch about the the student loan forgiveness shit and talking about like college and whether college is a good idea and we started getting into like what would you advise a young person to go to college or not or blah 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 all this and I I was saying that I was like well look. Here's how I'd say to anyone, to the young people who like listen to me, I go, here's my advice, right? The, the whole game, and I'm sorry, in terms of your professional life, like what you're going to do for work, forget your romantic life and your social life and all that, but just in terms of your professional life, the whole game is, is basically this. It's if, if you find something that you like doing and God willing something you love doing, Right. But if you can at least find something that you really like doing, you know, God willing, you love that you're good at. Go all in on that. Yeah. Like, that's my advice for you. If you if you fucking find something, God damn it, that you love, that <laughs> you're good at and you don't go all in on that, you are fucking up. Like you, if you find that thing that your soul like pushes you toward, like this is what I fucking want to do, you put everything you have behind that. Fuck a safety net, fuck a backup plan, fuck any other thought. That is your life, and you decide that you will make that your life. Now, do you think you're gonna find that by spending 150 grand going and getting drunk at college? I don't know. You got to make that fucking decision for yourself. Right. You know, like if your thing is. Like you're a straight A student and you got a fucking 140 IQ and you're like really smart and you want to be a doctor. Okay, then yeah, I think probably going to college and then going to medical school, that's probably the path for you. Sure. But that ain't most of you. You know what I mean? And so like, <laughs> yeah. so, so like for the other, but that's the whole thing in life. It's like that you, so, so the one thing I think that I did really smart and still a lot of other shit worked out for me and, and I'm lucky that it did. But the thing that I did that was the right thing is that I, I found in my 20s, you know, what I, what I loved. Right. And, and really that my two loves were fucking stand-up comedy and fucking libertarian theory. Like I found that exactly. and, I, and I went all in on that. So that's like kind of what, so that's just my advice to other people. And I, I might be wrong. Maybe for some other people, that's not exactly the path to go I all in on what they so. love. But I, I, that's my advice. That's uh, yeah. what I think you should do. I, and it, I can't help but notice the, the cognate or the, the life lesson that applies towards 
uh, finding a woman that you love. You know, if you if you find a woman that you're just like she speaks to your soul and you know it, and she moves out of state, you fucking move out of state. Especially yeah. if you're in your twenties, like th- these are the times when you should be taking those risks to try and try and pursue, uh, you know, what what speaks to your soul and to your heart. And um, obviously, you've done that with your your wife and now your family. So it's uh, I think that it's a great life lesson and, and perfect example. I really liked being a mortgage broker. I didn't love it. I liked it a lot, though. Like, sincerely, I really, really liked it. But I fucking love what I do now. And, right. and this is why, you know, even though I could work fairly effortlessly as a mortgage broker, I can work completely effortlessly at this. I wake up every day and it's just like, let's fucking go. You know, I yeah. have no, I don't ever get tired. It doesn't seem like it's really a remarkable gift to live this, this way. And I, uh, you know, I just hope people can find it. I yeah, really do. and there's always, of course, there's always going to be like, um, you know, some aspects of your job that you're like, eh, this is a task I got to do yeah. that I don't really love to do. There's never, there's never nothing like that. But when you really love what you're doing, that'll fucking carry you through. And you know, and if you think about like how much time you spend in your life on your work, it's it's a lot of time. And so, oh, yeah. man, if you can if you can really love what you do, like you're you're beaten the game that's the whole fucking thing right there and then and and yeah you're absolutely right that the analogy completely holds personally too that it's like yeah you find that person who's right for you you fucking you know you tell her she can't leave no and i and i tried (laughs) i tried that in my mid-30s and i end up uh you know it didn't work out and my heart I don't think any human being could ever be lower than I was in that moment. It was like as close to suicidal as I could possibly be feeling as if I could never get back off the mat. And, um, you know, in hindsight, I don't regret it at all. It's, it's a, uh, it's kind of like failing a business too. It's once again, these are all the same thing. It's if you, if you thought that you were, this was the person you were meant to be with for the rest of your life and you didn't explore that possibility to the fucking end, then you'll never know. You'll never know. Yeah. And it, yes, it hurt like hell. It hurt like hell so much so that I was almost hospitalized. It hurt so bad. Uh, but you still, you got you to gotta give it give it your all. By the way, I, I am going to read these super chats, um, but I'm going to do it at the end. So everybody hang in there. I, I know people are probably getting mad. Let me do one more ad break. And this is the last one, I promise. We have uh, a new one, but an old one. Young Americans for Liberty. Hey, guys, today I want to tell you about an opportunity to jump headfirst in the Liberty movement and make a real impact. Young Americans for Liberty is currently recruiting campaign staff to help elect pro-Liberty candidates across the country. These hardcore candidates are dedicated to fighting for gun rights, keeping our troops home, school choice, criminal justice reform, ending our senseless spending, and many other hardcore Liberty policies. All of those things sound incredible to me. Their work speaks for itself. These are the guys that passed constitutional carry in Indiana, Texas, and Alabama, fought the lockdowns every step of the way, and have done a whole lot more. If you want to be a part of the fight and actually make an impact in our insane political climate in 2022, you can join one of these campaigns from now through November 8th. Gas will be covered, housing is fully provided, and you get compensated a total of $2,800 a month for your work on the campaign trail, plus a $500 campaign completion bonus and travel stipends for those who start before August 30th. That means five days from now. Go to yaliberty.org forward slash lockdown to apply and make a real change in this country today. That's yaliberty.org forward slash lockdown. Let's make Liberty win. And our very last sponsor of the night, as always, is Expat Money Summit. They're an upcoming online summit by my friend, Mikel Thorup. He's been on the show. 
He is the, the man, the myth, the legend behind expatmoney.com with over 30 experts. This is going to be a multi-day event. It's free to attend. Ron Paul is going to speak there. Don't fuck around. Get on board with this. They're focused on moving your life, business, and wealth offshore. Uh, go to expatmoneysummit.com or claim your freedom from chaos and uncertainty. Topics will include how to secure your own plan B safe haven, how to use foreign currencies, offshore banking, and decentralized finance to safeguard your money, how to legally reduce your tax burden, how and where to safely store gold, silver, and other precious metals, uh, how you can get a second passport to travel the globe without restrictions and get in and out of different countries' borders. And lastly, you will learn about a libertarian island haven, sounds lovely, private cities, communities on, on the ocean, and food and energy independent towns in Latin America. Again, register now for free, expatmoneysummit.com. This is your way to fight back against what is happening in the world. Stand up, protect yourself, and find out how to secure your new life abroad. Register for free over at expatmoneysummit.com. And now we're back with the the greatest living American, as I refer to him. <laughs> um, <laughs> so I actually, I want to, want to go a little, little off the beaten path with you here. Um, I've, I've always marveled at not just yours, but Louis J Gomez is, and to a lesser extent, big J, even though he doesn't seem like he's that great of a dad. Um, I'm just kidding. He doesn't <laughs> care. <laughs> he doesn't really care. Doesn't it's worse like... than you could possibly imagine. <laughs> oh shit. <laughs> um, but obviously, Lewis lost his father to a, a tragic, uh, you know, stabbing murder, which you guys eloquently joke about basically every week. Um, and and you have not. It seems as if you haven't had a, a great relationship with your father. I was hoping to to ask you a little bit about that because I'm sure there's sure. tons of people that that look up to you probably do so because they don't have, uh, you know, the the fatherly figure in their life, and that's probably a weird thing for you to think about. But regardless, I'm sure it's true. Um, what what was it like? in your childhood uh what what transpired that that brought you guys apart well, this now it's uh, just remind me of that nate diaz moment and they go you're a father now he goes i'm a father of all types of these motherfuckers out here <laughs> go, I'm, a, I'm a father of this whole liberty game son what do you want um, Did say that that's do, yeah just, they, he never likes talking about having a kid and whenever they ask him he always just has some fucking weird comment um so there's a joke to deflect uh yeah look i mean um so my uh yeah i have no relationship with my father we haven't spoken uh i think 20 probably 20 years something like that something yeah yeah, it's been a long time i didn't know that something something in the ballpark of 20 years i don't remember exactly the last time we spoke um and he was like always uh my my parents got divorced when i was uh, i think three and a half and um and he was kind of like in my life a little bit peripherally like for for years after that but we never really had a close relationship he would kind of like pop in to do a thing with me every now and then when we were kids but he was a he was a fucked up dude and um he uh was just kind of like a poisonous toxic person and as i got Mm. older it was really when like i was in my teenage years that i kind of recognized that and i was uh it was just um you know ultimately i think i just made the decision like i i didn't really want to to have him in my life he was causing more problems and than he was helping with anything and then we didn't speak for a few years i think we didn't speak if i recall correctly between me being like i think 16 and 18 we didn't speak and then after a couple years of not talking to him i went and met him and like i was like "Ah, i should try to talk to him and then we talked and it was just like another awful thing and then i was just like okay 
I'm I'm done. There's no need to keep doing this. And so we just haven't spoke since then. And it was a uh, yeah, it was a it was a tough thing. It was always a tough thing for me growing up, like not having a father. Um, of course. So for, so did you not live with him? As no, I never. Kid? No, no, I never lived. So since my parents split up, I mean, when for the first three and a half years of my life, we all lived together. But since they split okay. up, I always lived with uh, my mother. Um, that was very similar to my biological dad and and my mom. Uh, but uh, fortunately, I had my my stepdad to step in, and he was incredible. Uh, and my yeah, I had a stepdad, but he sucked too. Oh, so that was, Jesus that was my mother. My mother's a great woman, but she chose shitty men <laughs> as her uh, as her as her husbands. Um, but. Uh, but so, you know, so that was like for, for a long time in my life, I think that was uh, a thing um, and, and was a real negative force in my life, not having a father. Um, but I, I, you know, to me, you know, it's like it, it, it's kind of like anything else that is a hardship. It's you wouldn't wish that on anybody and you don't it's, it's not ideal to go through it. But there are uh there are benefits to going through a hardship and things that you learn sure. about yourself and, and things that make you stronger in, in some ways. So I, you know, I, I think that I've, I've learned a lot from that. I, I, at, at this point in my life, you know, being, uh, uh, I'm not old like you, I'm not 40, uh, but I'm as, <laughs> as a, as a man in his thirties who will be 40 in a few months. It's six uh, months. <laughs> it's, yeah. It's, as someone, as someone from the you know a generation younger than you, I uh, at this point in my life, I I genuinely like I I have a whole different feeling about it, and you know like it's it's almost like in the same way if you could just think about anything from twenty years ago, you know if you think about something that like really upset you twenty years ago, whatever it was, think about like a girlfriend dumping you or something, any, anything you could think about 20 years ago that really upset you. But now think about it. Yes. And you go like, it's almost like uh, like someone infused a memory of someone else's thing in yeah, your head. You know, yeah. like I don't, I don't really feel the emotion anymore of that. And honestly, what I think about now, whenever I do think about my father, which isn't that often, but when I think about it, I go, look, I got two fucking beautiful kids like these two little beautiful a beautiful three-year-old and almost one-year-old now my my sister has this great little uh two and a half year old boy um and my father doesn't know any of them yeah, that's why never never met any of them does i don't even think he knows that we have them and to me i go i i couldn't imagine And like that, if there was a hell, I can't imagine it being worse than that. Right. I, I can't imagine a worse punishment than like my kids. I like my kids. Like if they had kids someday and I had no relationship with them. I mean, like if my if my kids were grownups and were not speaking to me, I would be. I, I would show up at their front door every day. It, you would need a SWAT team to drag <laughs> me away. Like yeah. someone, like a man would have to take an arm and another arm and a leg and another leg and drag me away to get me away from them. And if they did, I'd come back the next day. They better lock me in a hole somewhere to keep. And 
so to just think that he's like not you know it's like i really i i think of it now from a much more removed perspective where i go you know what and this is the truth it's like he had a really fucked up childhood he was really fucked up and he ultimately ended up in this fucking place like just the way i was speaking before about how fortunate i am that i've ended up in such a good place in my life like he was so unfortunate in so many ways that he ended up in right. such a fucked up bad place in his life so I, I, I feel bad for him. And um, I think that, uh, like you made the point about people not having fathers listening to me. I mean, look, this is a huge part of uh, what's going on in our country today is yeah. that, you know, broken families became normalized in within the boomer generation. And we're now dealing with the fallout of that. And it's a, it's a tough, painful process to, um, to, to grow out of that and not let that poison you in the future and your future relationships is a, is a tough thing. And I, I know that as well as anyone, but that's kind of, that's a big part of what the challenge is and, and it's possible and you can do it. And I look, I think that's a big part of this whole conversation with student loan forgiveness. You know, it's True. like people who grew up in, in broken homes and every authority figure in their life told them to go to college and then they get this loan and they were probably on psychotropic drugs since they were little kids. And then they go yep. and they do it. And now they're working at Starbucks and a fucking house is $700,000 and you owe $150,000 in debt. And I make 14 bucks an hour. What the yeah. fuck am I going to do? So give me socialism. God damn it. You know, <laughs> yeah, like, yeah, like sure. I, I, and I kind of get that and I feel for them, but the 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 one of the major things that like i understand i understood a lot of this a lot more once i became a father and you realize like oh what the role of a father is and then i realized like oh this is what i was missing this whole time like this is really what it was is that the role of a father is to be there and to teach you like the beauty of discipline and, mm -hmm. and, and I don't even mean just like, I don't discipline my kids. I don't believe in disciplining my kids. Like I help right. my kids. I help like teach my kids things. I don't punish my kids. I don't yell at my kids. I don't hit my yeah. kids. I don't do any you of that. Character but development. teaching you how to be a disciplined person, teaching sure. you like the, the benefits of like, like, you know, like sacrificing toward achieving something and teaching you the benefits of, you know, like kind of like being this like controlled person and, mm -hmm. and, and, and responsible and good to other people and all of these things. I, I think that there's so much of that is missing today. And, and this is why I think a lot of all of us, a lot of all of our messages like resonate so much with, with, you know, kids coming up in this generation because they right. they were missing all of that no one ever taught them any of that no i, I couldn't agree more and you know even though i have a positive relationship with both my dad and my stepdad um there is something about you know how you were talking about like if it's 20 years ago or 30 years ago it just feels like it kind of helped happen to someone else almost yeah it's like like yes it, it was me i know it was but like it's the the memory is has faded tremendously and um you know what i got from my my dad was just a singular mindset, you know, achievement oriented type person, mm -hmm. which ultimately didn't serve him well in being an attentive father because he was that wasn't his priority in life. Um, but then my stepdad was very much he's an, he's a New Yorker from Ita or Italian from New York and, uh, you know, just absolutely loved, he did, uh, you know, took me in as his as his own. And then I had a little brother because of him and uh, couldn't love him more. And uh, basically what I'm getting at is like once enough time passes, 
I hope that everyone comes to the realization that like appreciate what they were able to give you. Like for your situation, maybe that he wasn't able to give you much other than life, but life is a very beautiful thing. Yeah. So that's, that's something, yeah. you know, that's yeah. something. <laughs> um, no, I, th I think that's a great point. Too. And, and, and there were some things in there, you know, like there were some things that he, he sure, gave sure. me that were good. There were some good memories that we have. I think, I think that's a really good point and that you have to, um, I, I think particularly again, like kind of, as I was saying before, where there are these things in life that sometimes you have to look at, you know, feeling sorry for yourself is something no one will probably ever completely escape from. We'll all have moments where we feel sorry for ourselves to some degree. But you also can recognize, and, and, and it's also justified sometimes, but you also can recognize it's not productive. It doesn't help you. So get rid of as much of it as you can. And the tr this is also true toward, a <coughs> excuse me, toward harboring resentment toward parents. Right. It's just, you know, it's, you might be right. There might be, uh, you know, there, you might be completely right, but sure. it's just not productive. It's not helpful. It's much more helpful to try your best to transcend your situation, to zoom out a little bit and realize that they were a person too. Appreciate the good that they had. There's always some good, and and understand the bad for what yes. it is, you know. Well, and then and, and then go. Well, what do you want to be? What do you right. want to be for these other people? You know what I mean? Like there's that. That's kind of uh, that to me is the more important thing. Well, and and to me, it's like whether it's you teaching your children discipline, or it was your dad teaching you what not to do as a father. There are still lessons in both of those. That's ways a good point. Being, you yeah. know and. And I think that what's really remarkable about, about you and Lewis's journey, and to a lesser extent, Jay, uh, <laughs> is that is that you know you guys have really funneled some rough you know childhood or child rearing or whatever you want to call it, some rough parenting, and and turned it into kind of a a, a real burning passion to be a great parent. And I, I don't know if I don't know if it's like conscious or if like you just saw your kids and you fell in love with them and this is what you decided to to become but it's obvious that this is the right path to be on because as you said if you didn't have the opportunity to see your grandkids it would be like basically life ending you know it would just be like what uh, yeah, what have i, I done in my life and and i think i think my point is you know why why be angry with your father given that as you've already described he's living a hell worse than you can possibly imagine oh you yeah know? it's like He's already being punished in this life and maybe the next. It's like, yeah, I, I just I try and have sympathy for my dad because you know what what he gave to me was incredibly valuable. I have a work ethic that's incredible, and it's largely be because because of him. And I have uh, this belief in liberty because of him because we took these long car rides for four hours once a week or once a once a month, um, where he would just tell me about the founding fathers and like, and I was five, you know, <laughs> like. And because of that, I have this like deeply ingrained belief and faith in liberty almost. Um, and then I, I also, even though my stepdad has his own pitfalls, he's overly emotional and he's got all sorts of crazy, but he's Italian from New York. Uh, I know and then my Italian. mom. Yeah, yeah, of course you do. <laughs> and then my, then my mom, um, beautiful woman, such, such a, such a loving person. But when I was at my lowest, she's not really capable of being uh, soft or consoling. She's just kind of like, 
fucking walk it off. <laughs> you know? um, but that, that also added a, a level of toughness to me that, that I carry on to this day. And there's value in that, too. So I don't know. I, I just think at some point, and maybe it comes with old age because I am a generation older than you, uh, that you start to realize that, that uh, there's no point in, in looking at the, the pitfalls of your, your upbringing as much as learning the lessons, whether they be positive that have formulated who you are or in the inverse have now allowed you to be a better person moving forward. But it's up to you. It's up to you if you want to. Yeah. Yeah. Well, there's something interesting there, right? Like it's like, look, there's I'm sure there's something of value in examining the pitfalls and examining the anger that you feel toward people and what where, where people did something wrong and all of that. But it almost becomes this thing where it's like uh, um, you're almost caught in like a contradictory loop here where like, OK, if you're going to say that, look, there are these other people and they did all these wrong things to me when they were adults. Mm-hmm. Like, okay, but did they get an excuse because of what happened to them when they were kids, or are they responsible? So number one, if they get an excuse, then you can't be mad at them anymore, right? right? And then you also have an excuse, and yeah. you're the person that you're upset with now. Or they don't have an excuse, and they're responsible for that, in which case you don't have an excuse, mm-hmm. and so now you're responsible for what you do, as an adult. So, you, you know, you kind of like get this uh, like thing where it's kind of like, okay, so so if you're going to say they don't have an excuse and you can be really mad at them, okay, fine. But now you don't have an excuse either. Because mm-hmm. they probably had the same type of shit with their parents before you had them, right? Maybe, and, maybe even worse. Who knows? <laughs> uh, probably worse. In almost yeah. every case, much worse, you know? Yeah. So I would just say that I, you know, I, um, and a lot of this for me was just, you know, I mean, I was probably just like growing up, I probably felt this way before I had kids too. But really, once you have kids, it's like, I'm like, look, dad is me. You know what I mean? Dad isn't my dad. (laughs) Like, you know what I mean? Like, dad is me. I'm the dad. It's my job to be like, and, and, um, the, I, I think for a lot of people in, 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 our generation, I'll say. A lot of the millennial generations who came from divorced uh, families, I think, have have kind of recognized how damaging that is. I think, oh, you know, damaging. our our parents' generation almost kind of ex, uh, experimented in no-fault divorce. That wasn't a thing before them. Right. Before right. them, it was like, if you got divorced, it was because there was a reason. The reason right. wasn't just like, eh, we didn't want to anymore. And you were like, a <laughs> like that wasn't pariah that too. wasn't an, that wasn't an option. It was like right. okay, and and certainly I think there are certain reasons that you know justify divorce. Of but, course, I mean divorce when you have kids, should you know probably it's a pretty major thing. And a lot of people that I know who are around our age who grew up in those uh, divorce families really recognize that, and they go, "Look, man, if there's one thing that matters to me, it's that like I'm gonna be with." you know, that the, my wife, I'm a husband for forever that that I'm going to, we're not going to let our kids grow up like that the way we did. And, you know, I see it right now. Like I just, there's something about, again, I'm shitting on the boomer generation. I know I'm speaking in broad terms. There are exceptions to this rule of people who are boomers who, who aren't like this at all. But, you know, the idea of all of these, like, these views that just make yourself feel better but are not based in reality like look it is so important that every single day my daughter knows how much i love her 
and my son knows how much I love him. I mean, he's a baby, but he knows, you know, sure. I still let him know. Um, <laughs> but it is equally important that they know that I love their mother, mm-hmm. that I'm there for her. And like, if that was ever broken, wouldn't they question everything? Like, like mm. how could that possibly even work? How could how would there be any chance that their lives could be as as good and as like you know non damaged if they didn't also grow up with the, just like the confidence that I I love and will protect their mother and that I'm like we're all together and we're all a family. It's you know when I think about it with my family, it's like mind-boggling the idea that anyone could think this would be okay for us to Mm -hmm. all not be together and so it gives you a whole different perspective on like what wow this was just completely normalized for years in our country and uh, look i i know this is again a little outside the scope of of strict libertarianism but you know when when you see the fact that not only that like the government's bigger than it's ever been but just that everything is falling apart you go do you really think that's completely removed from it being a generation into no fault divorce being normalized of course do you really like really do you think there's like no connection there no, and that is not by apart. the way that's that's not to blame just women or just men you know what i mean like this is this is on both this is yeah. this is every all the adults in the room are responsible yeah. for this um, it takes two to tango. Yeah. Yeah. Sure. That's right. So, like, it's, um, but it is just, I don't know. It's just it, it, having a family, being the father, this is just so clear to me that it's like, no, the only way, if anything short of me being with my wife for the rest of my life and, and raising our kids all in a loving family means I failed. This is mm. so black and white. Like mm-hmm. that's a failure, and that that at least I'm not saying there should be a law to enforce that you can't get divorced or of something course, like that. Course. But that at least should be the societal standard that yeah. you failed. You should have to like recognize that you failed. If you had kids with someone and you got married with them and you don't stay with them, you fucked up. That's yep. bad. <laughs> you know, I bad agree, you. Dude. I agree, and and I I remember it vividly because my my stepdad, who married my mom when I was I think four and a half. Uh, they got divorced when I was 14 and a half, give or take, right as I was entering high school. And I just remember his his anguish was so profound. It was like, oh, it's almost gonna make me well up. <laughs> he he was he was I could just tell he he held the same wait. This is your of, dad or your stepdad? Damn it, I am crying. Uh of dedication. This was my stepdad. This your, so your uh, stepdad, stepdad and your mom broke up when you were when you were 14? Yeah, yeah, and okay. uh, his name his name's Charlie, and he he was just so so deaf, you know. Italian guy from New York, he was like he's like divorce is not a fucking option, man. It's not an option. And and when my mom, you know, decided to leave him, I just I've never seen a man more broken. You know, it was it was incredibly profound, and I think that you know <laughs> what what it's left me with is kind of an aversion or a. a perhaps too much of a uh, perfectionist perspective on finally getting married, settling down, having kids. Like I've had three really beautiful, long-term, deeply loving, uh, significant others, girlfriends, and, and pretty much any of them I, I probably could have married and had an incredible life with. And it was just like, but there was this, there was that, you know, just kind of like nitpicking as opposed to going like, like it's never going to be perfect. You know, you gotta, you have to, at some point just realize, is this person, like, are they compatible? 
And the answer was clearly yes. Um, but my own, you know, hesitations or my own probably baggage from childhood and witnessing that kind of just devastation that can come with a failed marriage, especially when you have uh, children. My little brother was four at the time or five, and and he is still to this day, you know, carries such an immense amount of resentment over it. It's uh, I don't know. I just hope I just hope that, uh, you know, as you said, don't allow the fear of heartbreak to prevent you from pursuing, you know, the, the highest good and in love is that, you know, and being a father is that. So I don't know. <laughs> yeah, no, I think, no, I think that's, that's, uh, that's right. And it's, you know, look, of course, nothing is go ever going to be perfect on this side of heaven. That's not right. how things work, you know? Um, but what you got to do is almost get you got to try to, in, in a weird way, it's like, uh, you know, like meditate or whatever else you can. You got to try to get all of the distractions away from you, including your own, you know, internal mental distractions and get down. You know, it's like when you play that game, like, you know, it's uh, where you ask someone questions real quick. You just give the answer real quick. It's like, you right. know. Like, what do, what do you like better? You know, like turkey or chicken? Chicken. What do you like? But what, what do you go? Is it red or greens? Go. Blah, blah, blah. And then right. you go, okay, do you want to be with this chick or not? Yes. Like, whatever yeah, your, yeah, like, yeah, your yeah. internal thing is, if it's yes, then you fucking go with that. Just like I was yep. saying before, you find what you want, you fucking go all in on that. Yep. And in all aspects of life. I love it, man. Uh, do you have five minutes just to go over the super chats with Let's me? Let's do it. All right. We got based Jew says, I'm just giving you my money. The end. That is not, that's a very based Jew thing to do to give away money. Incredible. Uh, that is very, that is not our style. I'm going <laughs> to, as one of the other few based Jews, we're going to have to talk after this. <laughs> uh, ben Heckman says, the commies at Action for Assange are also based as fuck. You're right. There are many commies that are really good on the Assange issue. Well, on Assange, yes, sure. But, yes, you know, yeah. they ever. You know, you're like, oh, my God, they're so good on the wars and on Julian Assange, but they ever get control of your Department of Agriculture and we're all going to starve to death. So, you know, <laughs> yes, keep exactly. your eye, keep your eye on those commies. <laughs> Allow them to defend freedom of the press, maybe, but nothing else. Yeah. Uh, Sim Calvin says uh, they require shell 12 shots to consent to taxation. I think it might take mm -hmm. more than that, to be honest. <laughs> uh -oh. Well, you know what? How about this? If I take this is a dumb fucking joke. If I take 12 shots and then I consent to it, it's not theft. So how about that? Oh, yeah. You guys remember that time six years ago when I said something that was right? That was completely right? Yeah. Okay. <laughs> Crazy Nux says, I'll catch the whole show tomorrow. I just wanted to jump in and say, Dave Smith, 2024. You rock, brother. Let's let's go. Thank 2024, you. baby. Uh this is a well, Arabian pleb says, God bless you both. Dave, brother, you changed my life in a hugely positive way, breaking me out of my breaking me out of my stupid old leftist worldview. Clint, brother, you keep the fire in my heart burning for liberty with your sincere passion. Well, thank you. That's He's very from nice. Australia, so he has definitely leaned on us to feel at all sane. Yeah, well, you know, we might have we might have had some help from your fucking crazy government <laughs> there, but uh, but that yeah, is cool. And I'll and I'll say like that's kind of like what we talked about before. Like, hear this a lot from people who used to be uh, lefties, you know. And so it's yeah. like, don't uh, always remember that. You never For know sure. who's going to be open to these fucking ideas. For sure. Um, we got Ronwell Nagales with a huge super chat, 150 bucks. Good Ooh. lord, thank you, man. Says, I missed your show as Julian Hilliard, who followed me back for three days, cheered me up for it. Can you praise him for that or have Dan Smots call you a coward? <laughs> Dan, Dan will always call me a coward. It's no big deal. Uh, Reed introduced me to you and had gut feeling you'll give me Ron Paul 2.0. So will you run for POTUS in 2024? Oh, he wants 
He wants the answer, Dave. I know. Reed introduced you to me. (laughs) (laughs) That's that's the way this worked. Well, it's the it's the uh, the Ryan Dawson to Dave Smith pipeline. Oh my God! It runs through Reed Coverdale. (laughs) I'm uncomfortable with all of this. Well, now just because of that, no, I will not run in 2024. That's That's it. The whole plan is over. (laughs) I'm going to clip this and break news. he said one's compliment says uh, when are you going to invite Yarvin on POTP I, have you not had Yarvin on no i've ne- i've never uh i've never talked to uh Yarvin i I'd, I'd be down to have him on i've said that before i'd be down to have him on i'm not like um i i like some of his stuff uh i i have not been quite blown away like oh my god i have to fucking yeah. talk to this guy i would be down I don't want to say this in a fucked up way. Like, look, I'll have him on the podcast. I'd be down to have sure. him on the podcast if, if you know, he wanted to come do it or something like that. He's not someone that I'm like dying to have on. Um, sure. But I also I feel like every show that I've ever seen with him has been like almost him giving a lecture to the person he's having a conversation with. Mm-hmm. And I'd be down to like have a back and forth conversation with him. But right. I'm not interested in being his student. If that makes sense, I think that's like, totally fair. I think I, I think that there's a lot of things that like he he is a very bright guy, clearly a very high IQ person. Oh, there's yeah. a lot about history. I think that a lot of his arguments are sloppy and flawed, and I'd like to like I'd I'd almost be interested to like debate him on something, but I don't I'm, I I don't particularly feel like having him on where I ask a question and then he gives a fifteen minute fucking you know what I mean like uh, yeah. uh, journey Exposition. and then I ask one other question and he gives a fifteen minute like which is what I've seen from everyone who's had him on uh, that I'm not so much interested in doing, but I I would have him on and want to like actually poke at some of his shit that I think is. Uh, I think that you would know, be riveting. Which is honestly. which is which is by the way, I think a lot of his shit is interesting. It's not like it'd be that easy for me to like fucking get him on all of this, but I I I don't know. There's a lot of things that he uh he says that I think I look, I'm not um I don't know, fuck. I don't want to say anything like I'll just say this. If the conclusion ultimately is right from like this worldview that well basically what i think we have to do is check out and stop fighting against this regime because that's like uh you know we should we should just treat them like we don't even care we don't even care about these guys and oh the idea of fighting for more liberty don't even bother with that let's just check out and like i don't even care how much they rape everybody oh are they raping (laughs) oh they're killing randy weaver whatever i'm just an islander i don't care about like what's going on with them and then ultimately the idea should be that there's no punishments for those people we really never like ever want to see them actually punished or held accountable we don't want to do that and oh by the way like you know like any organization against them any movement toward like bringing them to justice we're going to be against like at a certain point you go like how useful is any of this like so what are you like if you were working for them over here what would you be saying anything different what yeah. doesn't this seem like exactly what like they would want someone in the dissident movement to be saying so i have a whole bunch of problems with this i also hate i was talking about this recently when i had keith knight on my show but i hate his conflation of um like private businesses with monarchy 
Mm. Like where he goes, mm. oh, the New York Times is basically a monarchy. Every business is basically a monarchy. That's why we should have a monarchist government. You're like, no, they're a private entity. That's yeah. what they are. I mean, you can, you can say, yes, they're dictators of their private property. That's what private property is. So, right. okay. So that's why we'd want everything to be privatized, not why we would want to have a dictator in, yeah, in America. Yeah, I, I don't understand the connection there either. And, you know, I, I think... Honestly, my personal opinion is that he's he's a much better writer than he is a a, a podcast guest. Um, I, I but even enjoy even his writing is just like I, and I've, no, I've his, enjoyed his a lot of it, but it just flawed, goes. I know. Yeah, it just like I I think, and this is like a big um, in general, and even his like disciples who are are a lot worse than him. Um, <laughs> but like he's he really is. He's the best. Like of the Yarvinists, he's the right. best one. You know oh, of what course, I mean? Yeah. But like. That his his disciples are all like this too, like where it's like, I like the reason why I like Rothbard and Hoppe and Mises and all these guys. I like tight arguments, mm-hmm. like tight, sound, logical. Here's my argument. You know what I mean? Like very clearly, this is what I'm saying. Mm-hmm. I'm I I I'm always a little bit turned off by this kind of like let me wax poetic for fourteen paragraphs about all of these things and it's like wait, wait what exactly are you saying here how does this exactly fall because that makes it very easy for you to like make these grand sweeping conclusions that you're like but wait a minute if I just push back on this you didn't prove anything at all you didn't actually like give me a solid argument for that so I just find a lot of that in the whatever you'd call it the neo-reactionary world like where it's a little bit like yeah that's that's not quite you didn't actually make a good argument there like and that's almost all almost every neo-reactionary you know refutation of libertarianism is that it's not like a tight argument for why this doesn't work it's a grand theory of everything put together and don't i sound so smart as i go on and on and on and on and then you realize like like no you didn't actually <laughs> argue against anything. They like, they kind of remind me of like the postmodernists of the right right wing, where yes. I'm like, I'm like, you know, like you're making some interesting points here and there, but at the same time, like I, you're not really making a point. You you're speaking sense. your own language with your own <laughs> yeah, vernacular yeah, yeah, yeah. that convinces everyone listening to you that they they're as smart as you are because they understand what you're saying. But when you really break it down, you could just go, "Well, here's a hole. Here's a hole. Here's <laughs> right, another hole." Right. None of that is linear. Uh, exactly. Uh, let's let's wrap with these. We got uh, too hard for the radio podcast. Says, "Don't marry an alcoholic after an amputation." Good life advice, I think. I don't really know what. I'm not going to argue with that. <laughs> um, anyways, uh, if after you obviously easily win your debate on September 4th on Liberty Lockdown against Sticks Hex and Hammer 666 on Trump's legacy, I will. Uh, I'll, I'll work on getting you. Lined up against Yarvin because that would break the fucking internet. Um, anyways, thank I would you so do, much. I would I would do that one hundred percent of you. Oh, you but would if, okay. if it's on on some libertarian thing. I mean, I don't know even know exactly what we would debate. Like, uh, yeah, but no, it, it, and anything about libertarianism or anything, I you know whatever, I'd be open to do that. And uh, but I'm I'm looking forward to doing that with uh with sticks. I like him. I'm I'm a fan of his. I don't know that much of of his stuff, but I've seen some of his fucking videos and I thought he was like good. Uh, so I, I'm, I'm interested in doing that and, uh, that, yeah, that should be interesting. That should oh, be fun. it's going to be huge, man. I, that guy is, I mean, he's got a rabid following. You're going to see clanks yeah. in the chat. They all do this clank thing. Uh, cause I guess he used to like spin his tea or something. I don't even know. I don't even know all the inside jokes. I don't know. I don't know about the clanks, but I'm ready for them. Bring your clanks, <laughs> sticks. 
bring whatever have, you got. I have, <laughs> I, I have seen him do uh, quite a few debates. He always, you know, comes correct. He is not. He is not a, a walkover. Which obviously, you know, R.I.P. Archie. Uh, you've had some walkovers. <laughs> In your past, I've done some. So, I've done some solid debates though with some good people too. So oh, I know. I got, Spike, I got the, the one with Spike was awesome. I, I, I got really Spike and Tho Bishop and Eric yeah. Brakey and uh, even even like Sam Cedar, who's a, you know for whatever right. formidable opponent. So I'm I'm I'll I'll be interested to have this conversation. And I I do with with uh, the sticks one. I'm not even like looking at it like you know like oh let me wreck this guy or something. I'm just like look dude how the fuck could anyone not see what is so obviously the correct position on this one so i'll be interested to see what he uh what oh, his, be, his take on all that is it's going to be fascinating if you want to do oppo research check out my episode with him i was obviously very kind in my retorts but he he makes a compelling argument i mean there are you know states rights and all the shit so you'll you'll get a kick out of it anyways everybody make sure you uh like comment subscribe and make sure you subscribe so that you do not miss the debate between Dave Smith, Sticks X and Amber 666 on September 4th for Trump's legacy. Thank you so much, Dave. Anything you'd like to leave the people with? Nah, man. It's always a pleasure talking to you, brother. So thank you for having me on. Talk awesome. to you again soon. I was going to make an apology here for getting a little bit emotional talking about my stepdad uh, in the divorce. But you know what? After thinking about it a lot, I, I'm not sorry. I, uh, I love the guy deeply, and he has had a heart attack about two and a half months ago, um, was extremely healthy before he got the jibby jab. And, uh, I think that added to the, uh, the emotional outburst there. So, you know, it is what it is. We're all human. And, uh, I, obviously he's, he's doing better now. He's out of the hospital. And, uh, you know, if you're the religious type, please pray for him. I appreciate all the support you guys give me in that regard. And, uh, I think things will work out. Let's, let's hope. Anyways, coming up next is my interview with Judge Andrew Napolitano. He gives us the latest on the FBI affidavit that was just released today and uh, a lot more, a hell of a lot more, actually. It's a fascinating interview, and uh, whether you're, you side with him or not on, on the severity of what they may or may not have on Trump, I think it's very important to be aware of how this is playing out because, my goodness, could this create fireworks in the not-too-distant future. So if you are loving... I mean, can you get any better than Dave Smith and Judge Andrew Napolitano on the same episode? This is high-level stuff here, folks. If you want to support my work, uh, another way to do so is go to toplobster.com, pick up a Liberty Lockdown shirt, become a walking billboard, let people know where you're finding out all this, uh, this groundbreaking information. And if you really want to love and support the show and help me market it, go to libertylockdown.locals.com. I'll shut up. Enjoy the interview with Judge Andrew Napolitano. And we're back with Judge Knapp. It is obviously Thursday, but it also happens to be Friday today. But it doesn't matter because it's still Judge Knapp Thursday. Welcome in, Judge Andrew Napolitano. Thank, thank you, my dear friend, Clint. It's always a pleasure to be with you. My apologies we didn't make uh, Thursday. That's what it meant. We'll make up for it by the, the stuff we talk about. Exactly. Well, there actually happens to be quite a bit of uh, breaking news that we can cover. So that it ended up being to our advantage. So let's, let's start there. Uh, the... Heavily redacted affidavit was released today on the uh, Trump Mar-a-Lago FBI raid. If you could give my audience the latest of your your opinion as to what it tells us. Okay. All right. So a lot of uh, news organizations missed the fact that two affidavits were re released, redacted mm -hmm. today. Mm -hmm. One by the FBI agent 
whose affidavit was deemed uh, reliable, credible, and sufficient to cause the judge to sign the search warrant, the other by the two federal prosecutors who explained a little bit about the investigation and why they redacted what they did. Hmm. So the FBI agent's affidavit is is unsatisfying because the juicy parts are all redacted. But we did learn uh, a couple of things. One is we learned the scenario of how all this came about. And unfortunately for former President Trump, like a lot of criminal investigations, start criminal investigations, it starts out very innocently. Mm-hmm. The the National Archives sends him a letter saying, Dear Mr. President, we think you inadvertently took some documents with you. Would you send them back? He says, No, they're mine. They say, Well, under this law, they belong to the federal government. And he says, No, they're mine. This goes back and forth, and then the lawyers get involved. And then he agrees to allow the National Archives people to come down there, and they sort of pointed at 15 boxes, and then those were shipped to D.C. Mm. And then the National Archives people began going through the boxes, and they came across documents marked top secret. Now, the National Archives employees don't have security clearances, so they couldn't even touch this stuff. So they called the DOJ, which sent over FBI agents with security clearances who went through it, but went through all of it. And in those 15 documents were 184 that were classified, some marked confidential, which just means the federal government doesn't want to have to deal with it publicly, Uh, some marked secret, and many marked top secret, and some marked top secret SAP and SCI, which we now all know means the the top of the top secret. Right. That caused the uh, DOJ to summon a grand jury saying, it's possible some crime was committed here. It might not have been committed by Trump, but it was committed by somebody. The grand jury sent a subpoena to Trump's people who basically said, take a hike. The grand jury DOJ lawyers followed up and said, well, you can't do that. You got to comply with the subpoena. Okay, come down here and we'll negotiate. They negotiated a compliance and sent another uh, 15 document, fifteen boxes in which another 300 classified materials were found. Okay. When, and we learned this from the affidavit. I don't know if they inadvertently uh, didn't uh, uh, redact. redact this or they intended not to redact it. The FBI said it interviewed many people who work at Mar-a-Lago. Many. Hmm. I don't know what that number means, but it's got to be more than, than a few, more than three or four. Sure. We all thought that there was an undercover FBI agent, because the FBI does this, who got him or herself employed, uh, you know, as a groundskeeper or, or a, 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 a bartender at Mar-a-Lago, or that the FBI had flipped someone who worked at Mar-a-Lago. Now it turns out they have spoken to many people at Mar-a-Lago and in the president's circle. To me, that means not just in his circle now, but in his circle when he was in the White House. Hmm. That's what caused them to write the unredacted part of the affidavit, which is how they knew that top secret material was there and how they knew where it was and why they brought the locksmith with him with them to break open the safe. Yeah. So they had been so all they had been informed. Stuff, say again. So they had been informed of what they were looking for by Correct. someone in Trump's circle. Correct. Okay. Now, 
will the redacted materials ever become unredacted? Well, if the former president is indicted, then the answer is yes, he gets that uh, complete affidavit. He finds out who the FBI agent was. He'll learn who the witnesses were and his lawyers can uh, develop uh, another narrative about that FBI agent and about those witnesses and about what they knew and what they, they revealed, et cetera. If right. it's not indicted, we will probably never learn who the FBI agent is and what the redacted materials were and who the many witnesses uh, were. Interesting. The FBI was very, and the DOJ was very astute. They did not charge the former president with possessing classified documents. Hmm. Because they probably knew he would say he declassified them, whether in fact he ever did. Declassification requires a record of the declassification. You have to inform the these aren't documents that Trump prepared. These are documents he received in the ordinary course of his work as president. But the preparer of the document must be informed immediately that it's no longer uh, top secret so that the preparer can be prepared for the potential revelation of what's in there. The name of a foreign agent who's really a double agent who's working for the the Americans as well as for fill in the blank, the Russians, the Israelis, the Ukrainians, the Chinese, the Iranians, whatever it may be. Hmm. There's no record uh, of any declassification. There's no record of executive orders declassifying. There's no record of the White House uh, telling the preparers of these documents that some of them have been declassified. Put all that aside. The documents that the federal government is going to charge Trump, in my view, criminally with possessing are called NDI, National Defense Information, hmm. which is criminal to possess, whether classified or not, if you possess them outside of a secure federal facility. When he was the president, he possessed them in the White House, even in the living quarters of the White House. That is a secure federal facility. When mm -hmm. he's the ex-president and he possesses them at Mar-a-Lago, that is not a secure federal facility. Got it. So when Donald Trump revealed the FBI raid on his home, the FBI kept it under wraps until he, I guess, saw it on his security cameras or his staff or his lawyers called him and said, you're not going to believe what's going on, whatever it is. He revealed it. He, he made a criminal defense 101 mistake. He denied before he was accused. Mm -hmm. Never mm -hmm. deny before you're accused because you don't right. know what you're going to be accused of. Sure. That's, that's Chris weighing in. Uh, my, uh, <laughs> so, so the, the denial was I declassified everything. When he makes that statement, what is he admitting? That he has it. Mm -hmm. Which undercuts so, some of his argument that it was planted or he didn't know he had it. So right. he made he made that uh, that classic error. So I think he's in hot water. I think he's going to be indicted. I also think, Clint, and I'm sorry to say this because I know one of the lawyers involved, Trump's people are totally outclassed by the federal prosecutors up to this point. Wow. The federal prosecutors submit timely documents that are appropriately written, that 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 cite the correct statutes and, and the correct Supreme Court opinions. The one document that Trump's people prepared was so bad, the judge wouldn't file it and sent it back. <laughs> and it basically was filled with political arguments that sounded like they came from one of his uh, political rallies. 
rather than were legal arguments intending to persuade um, a judge to do uh, what they wanted. The DOJ is waging a sophisticated, aggressive, legal, criminal investigation against the former president. His lawyers are waging a PR and a political, but not yet a legal defense. Mm -hmm. They need to get to work. Wow. So it sounds as if you think... <laughs> it sounds. It sounds as if you you think that this uh, these charges might stick. Does, does that pre- does that prevent him from running for president again? If they do, well, here's two arguments, and this has never happened. The conviction of these under these statutes prohibits the person convicted from ever holding federal office, but that might be unconstitutional because the Constitution states. Uh, the only two qualifications for running for president are a natural-born citizen and over 35 years of age, right. not freedom from conviction. Mm-hmm. However, I think that a conviction like this, particularly yeah. incarcerated, would, oh, wow. uh, would, so cause think- would cause the Republicans to nominate somebody else. Yeah, well, I, I mean, I, I know that the the Republican, like the RNC, would greatly prefer to move on from Trump, but I don't think the base is ready to do so. And I don't think that even if he were to be charged and convicted that they would want him to not be the nominee. It, it could create a very strange situation. Yes, it would. it would. It would also create a lot of legal issues because there are states in which you can't appear on the ballot if you're a convicted felon. Are, are those statutes unconstitutional? Right. Because they put an additional burden on the presidential nominee that does not come from the Constitution. All of this these are wonderful questions, uh, Clint, but they're untested because sure. this has never happened before. Yeah. <laughs> well, with uh, good the only reason. thing we know for sure is if he's incarcerated, he can't run. That right. we know. Yeah. Yeah. That's, Clint could be on the ballot, but he can't wage a campaign. Yeah. That would be a, a losing battle, most likely. Um, all right. So I wanted to ask you a, a bit about my assessment of the FBI's treatment of Trump, not <laughs> leaving aside what's happened with the most recent FBI raid. Uh, I said last night on Twitter, we now know that the FBI spied on the Trump campaign, allowed him to be impeached on those lies and trap people in a kidnapping plot. We're almost certainly involved in January 6th, directed big tech to censor the Hunter Biden laptop story, which was in fact true. And I'm the crazy one for calling for abolition. Is there anything in that list that is false? The last one is false. You are not crazy. You are not crazy. Okay. Because if you are, then we're both crazy. I've called for <laughs> abolition. Well, my my your, your abolition is you are morally and politically offended by what the FBI did. That's a legitimate offense. I share that. My abolition is based on the Constitution. There's no there's no constitutional basis for a, a federal police department, which is what the FBI is. There's only two statutes, criminal statutes. Uh, authorized under the Constitution by the feds, and that's treason and debasing the money supply. You don't need a whole pol- federal police department for those. All the other criminal statutes, right? you know, from destroying federal property, stealing federal documents, even the assassination of Kennedy, all federal criminal statutes are unconstitutional. And by the way, in 1963, there was no federal statute making it a crime to kill the president. If Lee Harvey Oswald had lived, he would have been prosecuted in in course, it would have been wrong to prosecute him without prosecuting the CIA agents that were behind what he did, but that's another story for another time. He would have been prosecuted in, in a Texas state court because there was no federal uh, statute. 
I'm yeah. getting a little carried away, but the FBI's behavior, yeah, you could add to that the many things that they did in the Hoover years, mm-hmm. which never saw the light of day because we didn't have a Freedom of Information Act. We didn't have an aggressive press. We didn't have um, uh, uh, social media. Mm-hmm. We didn't have cable television. We didn't have all the things that force transparency on the part of the FBI that cause you and I and people who agree with us to be outraged by the things that they have done. Yeah, no kidding. Um, well, I want to, we got a, a real in, incredible uh, insight into the mechanisms by which the federal government is managing to get censorship applied on social media. So if you don't mind, I'm going to run this clip for us. This is Mark Zuckerberg on the Joe Rogan Experience just yesterday, and it's a pretty, pretty enlightening. So we took a different path than Twitter. Um, I mean, basically, the background here is the FBI, I think, basically came to us, uh, some some folks on our team. It was like, hey, um, just so you know, like, you should be on high alert. There was the, we, we thought that there was a lot of Russian propaganda in the 2016 election. We have it on notice that basically there's about to be some kind of dump of, of um, uh, that's similar to that. So just be vigilant. So our protocol is different from Twitter's. What Twitter did is they said, you can't share this at all. Um, we didn't do that. What, what we do is we have, um, if something is reported to us as potentially um, misinformation, important misinformation, we, we also have this third-party fact-checking program because we don't want to be deciding what's true and false. And for the... I think it was five or seven days when it was basically being um, being determined whether it was false. Um, the distribution on Facebook was decreased, but people were still allowed to share it. So you could still share it. You could still consume it. So when um, you say the distribution is decreased, in, it, it got shared. It, how does that work? It basically the ranking in newsfeed was a little bit less. So fewer people saw it than would have otherwise. So it definitely by what percentage? I don't know off the top of my head, but it's 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 meaningful. But I mean, but basically, a um, a lot of people were still able to share it. We got a lot of complaints that that was the case. Um, you know, obviously, this is a hyper political issue. So depending on what side of the political spectrum, you either think we didn't censor it enough or censored it way too much. But right. but we, I just I I love the the blatantness, you know, like he's just like, a lot of people think we censored it too little or too much. It's like, how about you don't censor us at all based off of FBI dictates. Uh, Anyways, I'll I'll get your feedback here. So, you know, he, he is not the government and is um, uh, damaging to the public discourse as it is. He can censor what he wants, but if he is the unwitting or witting tool of a government agency, Uh, attempting to suppress the freedom of speech and attempting to affect the outcome uh, of the, of the election. He is a fool and should publicly be chastised for that. And those who perpetrated this should be prosecuted. Uh, I mean, they, they came to him with, with a canard with something that they knew was not true in an effort to keep him uh, from putting on his bulletin board, which is the biggest in the world information that might have swayed the minds of uh, voters uh, in 2020. I mean, it comes, let, comes right down uh, to that. Let, let me so just rich and we, all, we all use his platform so much, and this will probably roll off his back. Right. 
Uh, Charlie Gasparino, my friend and former colleague at uh, Fox News, reports that uh, Truth Social uh, is uh, starved for cash and it's not paying its bills. So I don't know how much longer they're going to be around, but there needs to be something that we can all use that people will trust. Well, indeed. But let's let's also remind the audience that it was Hunter Biden's laptop, which was in the possession of the FBI, I think a year prior to the election. Yes. So they, yes. they knew that it was real and they lied overtly to manipulate voter opinion to get him elected. Am I wrong? You're right. And guess what? If it's not under oath, the FBI can lie. It's a oh, damnable, damnable public policy and Supreme Court uh, opinion. It's not a statute. Hmm. There, is a, there is a statute that prohibits people from lying to the FBI. Just ask Martha Stewart. She's having a conversation in her lawyer's office with an FBI agent. He lies to her. She lies to him. She goes to jail. He got a promotion. Supreme Court says the FBI can lie to you. It's part of their work. It's damnable. They are not morally superior to us, but they know they can do it and they get away with it. And my hat is off to you and our colleagues in the freedom world who are uh, exposing this now. Now, Zuckerberg is a very, very smart, articulate guy. I don't think he was duped. I think he was used and just used this as an excuse to help Joe Biden. Yeah, well, it's, I mean, it's absolute condemnation of everybody involved, uh, social media CEOs, their their terms of service, and also the FBI and any other government agency. As we learned uh, recently, it's the CDC who was also dictating to Twitter who should or should not be banned and which content should or should not be banned. I mean, we, we don't have a first amendment. I mean, you, you have the government telling these private, private businesses what to, uh, what to ban. It's really, it's an astonishing. You just just mentioned another three letter piece of garbage. That's not countenanced by the constitution. This is the center for disease control, health, safety, welfare, and morality were reserved by the 10th amendment to the States. Mm Mm-hmm. So again, people are upset at Fauci and what he did. I am. He destroyed businesses and, and destroyed lives. Big time. All unconstitutional. He shouldn't even have his job. His job shouldn't exist. It's legal because Congress has authorized it. It's unconstitutional because Congress didn't have the constitutional authority to authorize it. Mm-hmm. Well, I, uh, I have a few, uh, a handful more three-letter agencies I'd like to abolish on top of the CDC and the FBI, but we won't go there. I want to get you out of here on this. The, we have now uh, two all-counts convictions against some of the uh, alleged Gretchen Whitmer kidnapping case, and you have two men that walked completely scot-free. If you could uh, give me some understanding as to, as to how that's possible. 18 people uh, involved in the so-called plot to kidnap uh, Governor Whitmer. Uh, Many of them full or part-time FBI uh, agents, undercover agents, or cooperators. Six are charged, two plead guilty, four plead not guilty, two are found not guilty, two there, it's a hung jury, they're retried uh, and convicted. Uh, The federal government learned in the second trial all the mistakes they made in the first trial. And defense counsel was not aggressive enough. If I were defense counsel in the second trial, I would have put all the witnesses from the first trial right back on the witness stand. So the second jury knew everything that the first jury did. But they tried a compacted uh, version of the case. 
the defendants uh, couldn't take the witness stand because there was too much negative stuff in their backgrounds and they got convicted as profoundly, profoundly unjust. This is another um, scandal involving the FBI when they, I mean, Governor Whitmer, an FBI agent admitted this on the stand, Clint. Governor Whitmer was never, ever in danger. This was all a plot that existed in the minds of the FBI and they put it into the minds of some anti-government people. There's two anti-government people on this show right now. <laughs> they didn't put this in our minds, but they're people who think the way we do. Human yeah. beings that have a concept of the primacy of the individual and that our freedom comes from our humanity and not from the government. And they tricked and duped these people uh, into some sort of an FBI concocted plot. So the FBI can say, we swooped in the last minute and saved the governor, just like the same nonsense they did with so-called plots to blow up the New York City subway. This guy thought he was putting a plunger into a, 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 not radioactive, but some sort of electronically active fertilizer. It turned out to be talcum powder that the FBI bought. Man, do we really want the government in the business of picking losers and, and talking them into plotting a non-existent crime? That's where we are today. And the Supreme Court allows it. Republican nominees to the Supreme Court allow it. Shouldn't they? No, it need it needs to go. Written, the leading case was written by the late Chief Justice Rehnquist. Entrapment should not only um, be an absolute defense; it should be a prosecution of the entrappers for the misuse of government assets. Yeah, I mean, it seems like such an an obvious injustice, and I I'm heartbroken for these people. I mean, obviously, I don't know them, but it's just like it's incredible. What I what I heard is that the judge did not allow their defense to demonstrate or present the the text messages between them and either the FBI and uh, agent themselves or the informant that was, well, that, that was setting that's this all up. That's reversible. That's a reversible error. I don't know if it was the same judge. I should have known that knowing we were going to discuss this, but it was oh, a okay. radically different uh, trial. Yeah. And not allowing those uh, text messages is, is reversible error, which means Convictions will be reversed, and there'll be a third trial, probably before another judge. Interesting. Well, let's hope. Let's hope, man. Uh, we need some some injustice to be overturned. Anyways, if you want to have your injustice overturned, make sure you go subscribe to Judging Freedom. Thank you so much for joining us once again, Judge Andrew. Oh, all, all the best, my dear friend. Thank you for accommodating my schedule. Until I'm off next week, but the Labor Day week will be back to our usual routine. I appreciate it. You enjoy your your time off. Thank you again. <music>
Peter Quinones Invite me on Which podcaster sends custom songs Part of the problem Now I stand with the people Dave showed the way But I am unequal Lions of Liberty Now hear me roar Beat running out But I got a bit more Robbie the fire Always running his mouth But I made him a sandwich Now I'm man of the house The malice for Nick But you're welcome to quit I went over BLM With the fire I spit Friends against government Just call us fags Copy the Cairo Put mummies in the bag Liable opinions Get thrown on the ground Silky's move time Was the only sound Getting so hot must be air July Screaming in the mic A ripper 59 Miles to ratio That black guns matter Now all these lefties Got crazy small bladders None of us wanted war But we're ready You know I'd be bopping And rock steady Liberty lockdown Please scan your barcode Your liberty ain't gone But yeah it's on hold Where did it come from And where did it go It requires a fight Not tweeting from your phone Don't need a king Get him off the fucking throne If you're riding with the thought You've always got a home The virus is scared of We'll come and it'll go The government knows Just don't get treated like a hoe Thank you.